All right. Welcome, everyone, to Review the News. Uh, I believe it's episode 72, so that's what we're going with. I hope everyone is well. Um, we have our buddy Dave Pinson supposed to sign on in a little, in a little while. Um, unfortunately, the news is the horrible um, shooting in Buffalo. Ten people dead, 13 injured. It's, that's, you know, it's disgusting. Seems to happen all too often in this country. Um, we have a baby formula shortage. It's been um, 90 days we've been in the Ukraine, right, Gary? Um, yeah, I believe so. 90 plus days at this point. Todd usually is the, the, the calendar first keeper. The first 100 days. And uh, I think, but I think we're going to go back a little. Are we going to go back a little bit from last week or from two weeks ago to start? Well, so, uh, so we had, well, we talked a while about um, that idiot blocking you on on uh, on uh, on on myspace for uh so what he basically you disagree with somebody and they block you right but he had he actually had the, the testicular fortitude to unblock you right and, and did he apologize did you guys kiss and make up what happened tell us what happened uh so i guess following up from the last two weeks um and i guess uh we have to give uh, dave his kudos uh when he signs on so just as a small recap, I had disagreed with uh, at Lee, uh, partisan. He's at Partisano um, on uh, his Tillman take, and uh, he threw a block at me, and I kind of went off a little bit. Uh, and uh, come to find out, uh, he responded. I think sometime last week back to Dave and I, cause, cause what I had done is I said, look, he, he, he blocked me. I gave him an opportunity to come on the show. Um, oh, yeah. so I could at least to get, to get an opportunity for him to convince me that either I was a good word, a good word for it. Yeah. An opportunity to kind of at least say his, you know, I wanted to know a little bit more in depth, um, or get a little bit more in depth and instead he like, so through a mutual Dave, I asked him to come on the show and asked him like kind of why he blocked me. Um, but it's interesting because he responded. He's like, Oh, sorry. I didn't realize I blocked um, mm -hmm. my, the account. Um, yeah, right. But then he didn't respond to the second part, which was the invite on the show. So I just, to that message, I, I just tweeted underneath. I was like, look, the offer still stands. We'd love to have you on the show. Uh, are you telling me he's he's saying he didn't realize he blocked you? Yeah, uh, something to Come that effect on, on the tweet. Whatever. Um, but uh, the other thing is, is I offered him again another opportunity, and then even as a, uh, I went and I listened to him speak on Lee Smith. Lee Smith follows uh, our account. He's um, he's pretty big in the in the uh i guess in the um the field of uh conservatives uh he's an all he's an author i think he did some uh stuff for trump um i'm really blanking right now but uh lee smith's a pretty good dude um i went and listened to lee smith's podcast he had lafayette lee on and uh you know what they were talking about like i said i, I like i said la two weeks ago i said i pro I'd, i agree with you know 90 percent of what the guy says uh, he was on Lee Smith's account. They were talking about more about like uh, people not getting along civilly, which is uh, interesting as we get into the show here. Um, that was kind of one of the things I think I listened to about 35 minutes of it. Um, I mean, it wasn't terrible. What he was saying wasn't, I was like, well, you know, I don't know why this guy 
did what he did. I mean, I agree with some of the stuff he's saying, but, but anyway, yeah. So I guess, uh, we're up and running again. <laughs> I guess we're, we're pals, your buddies. Yeah. Bring in, him on in, the show. Tw- in the Twitterverse. Well, I, you know, I don't want to harass, I don't want to harass the guy, but I've offered twice now. And, uh, you know, the offer stands if he, if he wants to, and if not, um, I'd yeah. like a few. I'd like a few minutes with them. Let's do this. But anyway, so so we're gonna so like I said, our buddy Dave is gonna be on, right? Who the aforementioned Dave Pinson will be on, and then we're gonna discuss. Yes. I think he's gonna he's gonna come come out swinging about the whole Buffalo shooting. Uh, so we're gonna we'll save that till he gets here. So uh, Todd, uh, did you want to start to talk about this this baby formula shortage? Yeah, I mean it's just another. Uh failure of the Biden administration. Um, just So we don't have enough baby formula to go around in this country, which is really amazing. It's like, How does that happen? Uh, so apparently the FDA flagged the biggest baby formula manufacturer and they shut them down. Uh, they, um, and they produced Abbott, I believe it was Abbott. 40% of the baby formula in this country is made by them. And um, the Biden administration through the, the FDA flagged them and shut them down. And there was no uh, backup plan on how we were going to fill that. And why, did they, filling... why did they shut them down? Were they doing? They were doing I, I think it was a health concern. That, I mean, well, that's a big deal. Uh, sure. But you you have to have a a secondary backfill way to get this done. They never really, to my knowledge, they never really found that. And apparently um, this became a major issue when it became a headline issue just this week. And um, uh, the the White House uh, in a press conference basically said, the president knew about it uh, this week when it became a headline issue. And unfortunately, people should have been telling uh, the higher ups, including the president himself, that this was an issue a couple of months ago, and maybe we could have done something about it. And now uh, families and uh, are scrambling to feed their t- toddlers and their, their newborns. Yeah, it's really the happen. hospitals are probably going nuts. Yeah, it really shouldn't happen in this country, and it's just well. I mean, go ahead, Todd. Go ahead. I'm no, sorry. No, it just, it just it just shows one thing after another. Things are going wrong. Well, I, meanwhile, uh, they're shipping tons of formula down to the border, so the illegal immigrants that are coming over they can get uh, formula to their children um uh, while our shelves are empty and also uh if you're wick if you have wick um you can buy all uh there was people posting pictures of signs that said um if you're if you're a wick person you can take you can buy as much formula as you want um and uh if you are not a wick person you know you were limited to like two cans per person or something like that and you know what those people with the WIC stuff do. They buy a million cans and then they'll sell it on the black market um, because that's, that's how most of that stuff goes. So, I mean, again, it's, it's the administration, to Todd's point, is uh, 
telling the everyday American to go fuck themselves. And, uh, you know, you're going to have more of this fun um, from the administration. And even when Biden is gone, as long as these people, the same group of people are in power, you're going to have this continuously happen, which is, um, you know, uh, inflation, food shortages, uh, gasoline through the roof. Um, and, uh, you know, all these other, uh, uh, supply chain disconnections and they're not going to lift a finger. They're going to point, point the finger at each other. Uh, the other thing is the FDA could lift right now, the ban for European formula to bring in your European manufacturer formula into the country, um, to alleviate some of this. Uh, but there's still not, uh, it doesn't seem like there's any movement on that either. So. That's where we're at. And yet, um, if you're, you know, uh, illegally in this country, you can get whatever you want because as we've seen pictures, to your point, uh, they're on the, the shelves at various facilities. And really that's, that's, that shows you all you need to know, basically. For that. Yeah, you're, you're a second class citizen in your own country. And, you know, uh, this will continue, like I said uh, a second ago, this will continue to happen. This is, this is a ongoing thing. This is only going to get worse. I, I'm sorry, I have to uh, correct myself. Undocumented. That's the, that's the word we Yeah, undo undocumented, undocumented, yes. That's right. Yes. I want to be proper. You should, yes, as you should be. Someone, someone here should be, at least. Um, okay, well, let's uh, let's uh, let's talk about the Ukraine, Gary. We haven't talked about it in months. We went so far as to talk about that Titanic instead of talking about the Ukraine. So, so here we go. Let's let's talk a little bit about the Ukraine. Ninety days of of what? Uh, well, ninety days. We're kind of in a uh, we're kind of in a stalemate right now. Um, looks like. Uh, I, I, this will also be a great question for Dave when Dave signs on here. Um, but you don't really know who to believe. You, you, you watch one account. You got the Ukrainians liberating Kharkiv and moving towards the Russian border. Um, and then on the next, uh, the next account, you have like the RWA podcast. Um, and they're saying, well, Putin's basically, you know, got the Russians in a hold everything position. They're just finishing out Mariupol and then they'll secure, I guess, the Donbass region. Um, and you, you just kind of see the slow, slow bleed of the Ukrainians. Um, and then when you get some valuable information trickling out all, all the time, um, it, it, you, you got to like kind of scrub what you hear from three or four different sources. So, so, you know, that's the problem with, with like, so to me, the Ukraine thing as an American is not even really a Ukraine Russia thing. Right. I, I really don't have a dog in that fight. Um, but to me, it's more, what's more disconcerting is, is the way the Western media is reporting everything instead of reporting things truthfully and they try to control the narrative, it makes it 10 times harder. So even with all this technology, right, we're supposed to have all this information at our fingertips. It makes it 10 times harder to figure out really what the heck is going on over there, okay? Because, um, 
you know, if the Russians are winning, then perhaps one of the things the Ukrainians should think about is 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 maybe surrendering, um, ending the war, trying to find some sort of compromise. Um, and if the Ukrainians are winning, um, maybe the Russians should be allowed to find some sort of compromise to exit the country. But because you have this ratcheting up by the diplomats, um, basically you're going back to World War II where it's unconditional surrender or nothing. Um, and you have what we've talked about on the previous podcast, a, a, a over-criminalization of war, right? Because they, they're not going to just let... So let's say hypothetically, let's do two hypotheticals right now. So number one, if Russia is winning and Ukraine is losing, hypothetically, Ukraine should go to Russia and say, look, we're, we're, we're losing or we're at a stalemate. We should negotiate, you know, take the Donbass or have an autonomous Donbass or whatever it is, you know, whatever they want to negotiate. And let's just end, end the war. Right. But the reality of the matter is, is that the Western powers are not going to allow the Ukraine to submit to Russia. Because they, they want, because we have this Russia, Russia, Russia thing, they're going to want to bleed out the Russians for as long as they can, even though it's going to cost Ukrainian lives. They want the Russians basically stuck in the quagmire in the Ukraine so they can bleed them out, do whatever. Um, and, and basically at the expense of Ukrainians, um, fight a proxy war with Russia. So the other hypothetical is... Ukraine is winning and Russia is losing, but Putin has enough strength to kind of maintain what he's got. But in order for um, Putin to actually leave the Ukraine, he should sit down with the Ukrainians and, and basically negotiate a face-saving measure, right? So the Russians don't look terrible. They could withdraw from the Ukraine. Maybe it's a staggered withdrawal or something like that. And basically get back to, uh, you know, pre-bellum, um, you know, trade or whatever. They can, they can sit at the table and renegotiate a few deals or something like that. But you make it so that the Russians can leave without looking terrible and the Ukrainians can get some recompensation for the destruction. You know, yada, 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 hash all that stuff out. The reality of the matter is, is even if that was true... The Russians basically have their back against the wall. So even if the Ukrainians were winning in real time, the Russians have their, their back against the wall because the Russians can't afford to lose. Because if the Russians lose at this point, it's not about losing like a battle. It's not about losing a war. It's about the criminal piece of this whole thing. They're going to want Vladimir Putin on the docket in The Hague, you know, in front of an international tribunal where they can... Um, basically embarrass and further ridicule not only Vladimir Putin, but the Russian people and the Russian state. And of course, Putin is not going to do that. Uh, Putin really doesn't have anyone that where he can resign and kind of ride off into the sunset and let the, the next guy come and uh, uh, take over. We talked about that before. Um, and so really, Putin, even if he is losing, has no other choice but just to kind of stand pat within the Ukraine, uh, take up as much space as possible. And now we're, we're going to, we're going to into not, the stalemate not stages. Losing, not losing though. I mean, come on, that's not, clear. well, you know, my, my point is right. Yeah. Is that, yeah. but I'm saying that, you know, at this point, the Vladimir Putin and the Russians have no choice to just stand pat. 
or kind of consolidate what gains they have and basically sit there until somebody basically blinks and says, okay, let's just stop all this. But you're going to have a, you know, uh, I think you're going to have another like North Korea, South Korea, you know, I think what the, what I think what the end state will look like if there is an end state is maybe like a North Korea, South Korea ceasefire, right. Where the war isn't really over, but they're not really shooting at each other anymore. And then you'll, you'll have like basically years of back channel dialogue. Um, Cause that, that, that's to me, that's the way it looks like it's headed right now, unless something happens um, militarily from each side. So, I mean, that, that, that's just, that's just my point, but I think that's, that's where we're at right now at the Ukraine. You really don't, um, you know, I think Mitch McConnell is, is again, trying to push uh, 40, you know, that's also goes with the, there's no formula on the shelves, but Mitch McConnell is about to give the Ukrainians 40 billion um, in, in American cash that could be used for anything else really for Americans. I thought um, Rand Paul put the kibosh on that stuff. Yeah, for the for the time being, but that doesn't mean they're not going to stop trying. How about uh, me? How about giving me some of that cash? Yeah, I mean, Mitch McConnell went and visited the Ukraine. Uh, Nancy Pelosi's been there, so they're all checking on their bank accounts because they're washing their money through the Ukraine, so they want to make sure it's still there. Um, I have to remind but, you not to say that name on the show, please. Yes, I forgot. The congresswoman from California. Uh, so... So that's that's kind of where we're at with Ukraine. I don't really see much happening. Todd, I mean, I know Todd has a different perspective. Todd, what do you, what is your thoughts on the Ukraine right now? Well, I, I mean, it's just, I you know, I don't uh, check the, uh, uh, I just go by what I see on TV more than uh, I know you do, and uh, you know, it it does seem like Putin just trying to sit in in there and trying not to not to lose of course he's not i mean he's not gonna lose i mean come on well as gary was saying though uh it's not really he uh, putin is not going to get to his aspirational goal so if if he's if he says he gets parts of east ukraine he's going to declare that a victory when he started this, he was trying to get the entire country. That's not happening. But in Russia, if you would, if you uh, have aspirations and you attack another country and you fail, you normally get ousted. So Putin's not going to say it didn't work. He's going to try to declare victory, which means he's going to try to stay there uh, as long as he can and you know it's probably going to be like a east berlin west berlin situation north korea south korea i think i agree with gary on this point um but i i don't see the russians winning i, I don't but um you know uh but my take really is how you know the media coverage has gone down uh, in the last couple of months, and we discussed that a couple of weeks ago. Well, you predicted that, didn't you? Didn't yes. you predict that? And, and it's just, as Americans, we have short attention spans. We want to go to the next thing. Unless it's COVID. That's true. Uh, and if this is more of a 
long protracted war, you know, it's going to be farther and farther outside, you know, what Americans think about. Well, I, I do disagree with your one point, Todd. I don't think he was trying to conquer all of Ukraine. I think he was just trying to do enough to oust Zelensky. Um, I, I don't think I don't think Putin necessarily wants to. You know, the problem is, is everybody forgets once you conquer something, then you have to govern it. Right. Um, and I don't think Putin wanted let me, to let me do ask that. You, let me cut you off. And Go ahead. Sure. In my ignorance, in my total ignorance here, at the risk of sounding like the dumbass that I am. Couldn't he just he, he could just crush them if he wanted to. Right. It would just there'd just be so much red tape involved with him just crushing them. Right. So that now he's walking the fine line there. Right. Isn't that yeah. what I'm seeing? I, I, I mean, just, I, just go, can't go in there and murder everybody and, put, you know, drop a bomb on him. He's got to. Yeah, I think I, don't so, listen, I, think, I think he's an asshole. I'm not saying he should or shouldn't. I'm just, you know. No, but I think if you're going to step back and, and have an honest discussion, right, yeah. you have to talk about all these things. And right. And, and I think that was some of the points that were made early on. And people, you know, they poo pooed it, of course, because they became very biased in what they wanted the outcome or or what they were seeking to find. And I, and I, and I kind of agree with you. I don't think he really used an overall, because look, if you wanted to kill the Ukrainians and the Ukrainian government, you would just, he just would have dropped about a a million bombs on, on Kiev and called it good. Right. And he, he brought in some power troopers and they tried to secure a couple points in the cities and to the Ukrainians, uh, uh, to the kudos to the Ukrainians, they they fought those those units and they drove them out of the city. And, you know, he that that plan didn't didn't come to fruition. Um, but I think, again, to Neil's point, it's not like he was, you know, um, rolling millions of men. Into he didn't fail the, because he was inept. He didn't he just didn't take it to the next level. Right. I mean, pretty much. And 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 again, you know, there's there's a more nuanced conversation how his military is structured, right? It's very conscript heavy. Would he be able to do something like that? Is there a possibility that he would have long term? You know, could 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 he get the numbers up? Could he get the guys trained well enough to take? But I mean, I think if the if the Russians really wanted to, yeah, they could have overran Ukraine easily, especially. You have Belarus who basically will do whatever this. So, I mean, even the Belarus only contribute like a hundred thousand guys, that's an extra hundred thousand. Um, you know, so you, and then you could have launched a uh, part of the invasion from there, which I think for a time, I, I don't know if Belarus was engaged with the Ukrainians or kind of at the border, border, just securing the border. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think this was strategic in the long run of, of Putin wanting to secure. I, I think, I think you would call it a loss because he didn't get rid of Zelensky. Um, Zelensky's still there, but I think it may be a victory overall. If he winds up with more control and autonomy of the Eastern part of Ukraine, I don't know, Todd. Well, I, I think that, um, I think uh, I wouldn't call that. He's going to call that a victory. That's what I'll I'll say. He's going to call that a victory. Um, I think having Zelensky in the um, Korean government, that definitely is not what Putin wanted when he started this. And I think that uh, it's it's going to get to him because he 
obviously did not want to lose. And uh, he's very much into Russian prestige and um, all of that. So, you know, that, 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 that's why he's never really going admit, to admit defeat. So he's going to say, yeah, I, all I wanted was the Eastern part of Ukraine. And if he gets that, hey, he's going to say, okay. Um, as far as the um, Russians over, overrunning Ukraine, uh, we all thought they could do that, but it seems like uh, their their military, their uh, um, higher, higher hierarchy were not as good as we might have thought. And, well, I, uh, you know, I disagree. I disagree with that, Todd, because they they didn't they didn't really use a heavy. I mean, they've got bombers out the yin yang i mean they've got fighter jet they didn't Wazoo. really they didn't really they 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 basically tried to do what we would consider in the united states what we've done before like in haiti and stuff like that is like a policing action right i mean you, you this is more of akin to a policing action where he sent ground troops in yeah he's got tanks and stuff Right, which was a little bit heavier. Like we weren't—I don't think we were bringing tanks into Haiti and stuff like that. But we were bringing in some heavy companies, right? Um, but we weren't carpet bombing Haiti, you know. And I think if 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 Putin again wanted to flatten Ukraine, he could have absolutely have done it because they do have more uh, technology, um, more, more technical capabilities. Yeah, more money. Um, they could have easily. Um, have flattened the Ukraine bombing, uh, strafing, uh, but that runs the risk of more international outrage, right? If you're if you're just carpet bombing cities full of civilians and things of that nature. And I think the other thing is, like you see, I you know it's kind of interesting because everybody thinks Putin is this big bad dude, but he's still like modified his battle plans to Western standards. Like before, I think before they shelled Kharkiv or some other city, they sent like pamphlets in telling people to leave or they did human corridors to let people leave the cities, um, which is really something you don't do if if you're trying to like take the city, you know, you just want to hit it. I mean, if you're talking about like Chechnya, if you go back to you Chechnya, want, if, you want, if you just want casualties. Yeah, I mean, if you if you really want to smoke a city, go back to when he had the Russian military take retake Chechnya and stuff like that. I mean, that's or the Battle of Grozny. Um, I mean, that's they 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 completely leveled the city. I or mean, World that, War Two, right? World War Two, and they bombed. Well, not you don't even have to go back that far. You just go back twenty two years ago to Grozny, um, and even before that a little bit. So the first Cheshire War. Now, so. the, I will say, though, this is where you and I will disagree. You know, like, you may not believe it, but what I hear all the time, yes, he had those corridors, but then they attacked those corridors to have more casualties. Whether you believe that or not, it's completely up to you, but that's what I have seen all over the place, and I do believe that. So, um, you know, it's... Yeah, I mean, it, war is just terrible in any case. I wouldn't um, put it past the Russians to do all of that things. 
and I, I, I think, you know, there's definitely war crimes there to me. I mean, you probably disagree, but I, I definitely do think that's the case. I think it's happened on both sides, to be quite honest. Oh, um, I, I wouldn't be surprised at that at all. I'm not, I will say that. Well, and that's and so when you say war crimes, right, I, I think that's where the need for victory is even at its highest, right? Because if you win, you're probably not going to get prosecuted for war crimes. Uh, if you lose, you're going to lose and you're going to get prosecuted for war crimes, whether the war crimes are justified or not, right? I it's mean, a parlay. Whether, it's a parlay. It, I, mean, here, I mean, here's the thing, right? the United States could probably get prosecuted for war crimes because if you have a civilian running ammunition, right, not firing weapons, but running ammunition or bringing food or, or supplies. Um, and it's a 14 year old kid and it's 14 year old kids that are moving this ammunition supplies and American soldiers just start smoking them so that the, um, the people shooting back at American soldiers don't get supplied. I mean, is that a war crime? Well, the answer is yes, if the United States loses. And the answer is no, if the United States doesn't. So there's no, there's no, and, and again, this is the problem when you have academics and lawyers who've never experienced war um, and have never been in that situation uh, are prosecuting these crimes again? It, it, war is a very ugly thing. That's why war should always be the last resort. Um, but these things do happen in war. Women and, and children do get killed in war, um, justly or unjustly. Uh, men are brutal to each other, um, unjustly or, or justified. But um, you know, now you're going to have some lawyer who. Does military law, does, does war gaming never really leave? Some fucking nerd. I mean, pretty much. And you're going to have them prosecute. Again, that's, that doesn't say that horrible things don't happen in war and people shouldn't be held accountable. But when you, but, but that's the part of, of war, right? If, 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 if there's a, um, conf, you know, conflagration. Uh, then you would hope for it to be quick. I mean, I think that's why um, even when you look back and I go back to our own civil war, I mean, that's why drawing out the war, uh, even Robert E. Lee at the end was like, he could have drawn it out for another year or two. They could have done guerrilla warfare. It was just enough, enough because People had suffered enough. Well, the bloodshed, the bloodshed there is just a whole. Other well, thing. I, mean, I would, I, mean, I well, would go back. Uh, the uh, World War Two. People always criticized Truman for dropping the bomb because we kill a lot of people. His reasoning was always, we were going to lose a million people if we had to do a land invasion of Japan. And I, I agree with him on that. Uh, you know, it's. It's terrible that we uh, use the bomb, but the, the Japanese would not give up. They, they were not going to give up under any other circumstance besides a million people, million American troops uh, dying in a land invasion. I, so, I don't know if that's necessarily true. Um, I, I just don't. I, I, I think 
there, I think there may be some cause for disagreement there. I, I don't think, I, I think again, why? Um, well, because I don't think, beat around a bush. Just tell us. Well, I think so. Basically, FDR had these policies of unconditional surrender. And when you put a country at unconditional surrender, knowing that it's complete and her defeat, um, I mean, this was the lesson that they didn't la- learn at the end of World War One. So, what? But that, but am I understanding that right? But, but that's war. Like, you lost. Yeah, but what do you mean you, you know, made them uncomfortable losing? Like, what does that mean? So, usually with like, so with unconditional so with conditional surrender you can negotiate a peace and a settlement to end the conflict if, if your goal if your goal is this hold on if your goal is to end the conflict and stop hostilities as soon as possible then you allow even the loser to set some conditions so that you can uh speedily end the conflict now if your end state is the complete absolute destruction if you're like uh, uh right. what is it Carthago Delinda Est, right? Car- or uh, what? What is it? Uh, you know, Carthage must be destroyed. If your if your whole point is to salt the earth, then yeah, it's unconditional surrender because you're just going to get annihilated until you can't take it anymore. Um, but that's the thing. You know, the United States had always stood on this moral high ground, but yet did, did it give the Japanese an opportunity? You know, there's a lot of other arguments that say Truman dropped the bomb in order to frighten the Russians. So um, because he knew what was on the horizon with the conflict and that, and that's, and that's very true because once Truman took over from uh, FDR and saw how easy, saw how uh, easy FDR was with the Soviets, uh, Truman was absolutely appalled uh of how how um how much in bed fdr was with joseph stalin um that being said the million man thing i mean that was a number that was disputed because you had the army doing figures you had marines doing figures um yeah okinawa was a very very hard uh fought um campaign uh go ahead well we're getting we're getting a little we're we're now we're really diving into World War Two, right? But the the, the topic. But, uh, but we're talking about yeah, you're right. I mean, to bring it back, I'm just trying to reel about... it back in. I'll go into yes. World War Two all night long. I mean, but, no, but, but I I'll agree. tell you how wrong you are all night long. So the condi- <laughs> so this is about conditional versus unconditional surrender and kind of where Putin is sitting at in terms of war crimes committed and things of that nature. Because what if if Vladimir Putin dropped a nuclear bomb on the Ukraine? Um, you know, would that be considered a war crime? You know, would that be considered, you know, obviously it would be very bad, but it's happened before. And the country that dropped the last one, nothing really seemed to happen to. So, yeah, dropped two of them. So, well, that's because there was only one country that had it. So that, that, that's the difference. Yeah, uh, and that doesn't necessarily so right. So uh, might makes right, huh, Todd? So the moral to me, the moral and rhetorical question is, who really goes to hell for killing all those people? Is it the person that ordered the bomb to be dropped, or is it the person that actually pressed the button and killed? I think all both. Those who killed those people? Though who really killed those people? Did Truman kill those people, or did what? I forget the guy's name. I know his name too. Who Oppenheimer? 
The guy that dropped uh, fat, the fat, fat man. Oh, on the Enola Gay. Who who killed all those people? Who really killed all those people? You know, or was it Einstein? Did Einstein kill all those people? Yeah, I don't know. It's fucked up, man. Yeah, for it's sure. Conundrum. It's a conundrum. So, anyway, um, so I so, have a. Uh, go ahead, Neil. Were we going to, I was going to switch gears. Are you, are you, were you going to switch? I'm gears? ready. I was, yeah. I was ready <laughs> All right. So Dave gears. isn't here yet. So we can, can we get into it? Cause it's already 10. After, it's late here. Um, you still want to wait for him or do you want to get into it a little bit? Yeah. Let's give, let's give a few minutes because I, I thought we had like a nice COVID story here. Um, Oh, what's that with, with the, so we have Chris Van Hollen. Just had a stroke. He's a senator. Um, and you have uh, that's not a nice guy. Story. That's not a nice story. Guy. I think. Uh, <laughs> um, that's a good story. Is he OK? Is he alive? So I don't know. I just it just came across the wire here. And then uh, uh, John Fetterman, I think it's John, uh, is running for. uh, uh Senate in Pennsylvania is the Democrat. I think he's the Democrat front front runner right now. Uh, also had a stroke. Uh, I think Fetterman's forty eight. Not sure how old Chris Van Hollen is. Uh, Jesus, both that's young. are that's young for a stroke. Both, yeah. Well, both both are showing uh, the signs that were reported that you get when you take the Pfizer. How many boosters? Vaccines. So, I think somebody was saying, "I this is." This is hearsay. Somebody was saying that Fetterman was tweeting or said something about um, getting a shot in April. So booster in April. So, so I have the Pfizer vaccine in my, in my veins, in my RNA. Have you gotten a booster? No, I got the two shots. I didn't get the third. So you got the two and he didn't get the third. I, I think, um, I think this may be kind of with the booster. Um, but again, uh, you know, you're starting to see guys who I don't think I don't and I don't know, but it's just odd that these guys are all getting strokes. Um, they're having those symptoms like the myocarditis and, and other heart issues. Todd, I know you're I, Todd. I know you're muted. So just react. Are, are you boosted? You are boosted. And you're Pfizer? Or, yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Well, there's a, there's a success story right there. Todd hasn't stroked out. I do have two very good friends, uh, a husband and wife that were, Gary, you know them well, that were here last night, and they both got boosted, and they both had really, really bad reactions to them. They had zero reactions to the first two shots, and they had terrible reactions to, uh, to the booster. What? And if I may... If I may just ask, another dose, isn't it just like a third shot? Yeah, but stuff? but I mean, at this point, you're basically pounding the shit out of your immune system. Yeah. You know, here, here's the thing, like, um, where I'm at right now, it's completely. There's no masks. There's no regulation. I mean, you still you still see a bunch of dipshits walking around with masks on, but they basically identify themselves as like morons, right? Because we know as masks the, don't work. Yeah. yeah, and. uh 
So you still have a couple of dipshits you see walk. I mean, and and here and the thing you got to chuck, you got to chuckle, right? So it was like, <laughs> I you am. know, you, you're at a sporting event. You look around. There's like ten thousand people, and then you see somebody with the mask on. You're like, bro, if you're that worried about getting COVID, why the fuck would you come out to a sporting event with ten thousand people? Like, why? Why would you do? Why would you what? Well, I wonder when I see people like that, I wonder if they have like an elderly family member or something and they're just they still want to live their but lives. That doesn't even, but then you see them take their mask off and they touch like the, the railing and they lick they the railing. Food in their mouth. <laughs> yeah, they lick the railing. Yeah, exactly. You're like, you, because I, I mean, I, I don't know if this is like some weird stuff, but I watch mask people all the time because I find it just so fascinating. It's like people watching times a thousand because you'll see it's good. People like, it's good people. like you'll see them, they'll pull the mask down and their nose will be exposed. And you see a lot of that. And you're like, well, then what's the point of having the mask? Like put it all the way up. Um, then, then you'll see like, to my point is like, um, and I always use this example before. It's like they have a mask on and then you see them handle like all this nasty shit. And then they'll like wipe their face and it's just like, or they'll touch their mask. They'll be touching their mask. And you're just like, it totally is self-defeating. Um, and at this point, I don't think, I think the COVID is the COVID that is not going to really kill you unless you have those pre existing notions. I think, um, you know, I, I just, Again, I think the vaccine, I always said this from the beginning, I always thought the vaccine was something that people who had, um, who had, who lacked immunity or, or had some sort of, uh, you know, medical history that they, they, that they needed an extra protection. But I figure for the most part, people that were healthy could handle the infection. Um, you know, you're always going to get that one off. You always read the story about the one guy dying of flu. I mean, it does happen, but let me tell you, let me, let me tell you a little ditty though. And this is a small sample size, but it's also true. So my parents are in their, they're 70, right? My parents are 70. Right. And then I have these, these very good friends that are in their late fifties. My parents are vaccinated, boosted. These, this other couple are not vaccinated at all. And they, they all were exposed together. They all got COVID together. My parents had like a, a, a head cold and like had to shut it down for a few days. This other couple were were borderline hospitalized. Wow. Like they were really fucking sick for like two weeks. And to me, you know, and and, and anyone that listens to the show knows how I feel about COVID being overblown and stuff. But I, you know, we don't we never doubted that it's real. But uh, to me, it was a the vaccines do work to some capacity. Like I don't I don't feel the need for two booster shots, three booster shots, or whatever. And I don't know. I mean, it's hard to argue about the whole stroke thing. Like, Gary, you're not the first person to, to, to bring up these comments about people having like strokes are a lot more common these days, it's, it seems. And. Uh, and to me, the vaccine is just it's just so new. And therefore, I'm skeptical of it. But uh, but anyway, the, 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 to me, the proof is in the pudding in my small sample size that these people were very, very sick. I had to go to the pharmacy for these people. I'm very close with them. I had to go to the, wait in line for an hour and a half for the pharmacy for them. Whereas my parents just had like a, a sinus sinus thing. You know, my dad was annoyed that he took the test. My sister made him take the test. And he's like, I've, I'm 70 years old. I've had sinus infections my whole life. Like, I don't have 
don't have fucking COVID. But the little stupid test that he did, so he couldn't leave the house for a week and he was pissed off, you know. But what if it was a false positive? I don't know. Well, I mean, what, take if? One what, or was, two. what was the, what was the harm in him just shutting it down for a few days? You know, what's that? Well, no, there, I, no, but but to your father's point, I think he was already going down that road anyway, right? He said he had a couple sinus infections before. He knows how to take care of himself. Yeah. You know, hey, hey, listen, I, I love- and Gary, listen, let me say this to you. Like, let me just say this. Like, two years ago, we've been sitting on this show for over a year, like yelling, screaming about this. If you told me a year and a half, two years ago that, um, like I wasn't even worried about my seven-year-old parents testing positive for COVID. Imagine that two years ago, a year and a half ago, like we'd be worried about them dying. You know what I mean? So it was like, it was some happy, I guess. Like, I'm, you know, it's not that big of, of, a, of a deal. I mean, at least right now. So, yeah. I mean, but I appreciate so, that. So, I mean, my, my, my folks had gotten it and uh, you know, it was, it was pretty rough, but they were just they were just wiped and exhausted, and right. What's to me? you know, they they just they were they were just absolutely wiped. But the problem is, is that again with the vaccine, right? It's not the vaccine per se, although there are issues with the vaccine. Um, but it's the fact that they shut any other type of way to treat it down. I think that's the one thing we have to keep in perspective, right? It's not. It's not that people poo-pooed the vaccine. It says some people had other wanted to use other alternatives, whether it be the ivermectin or the monoclonal antibodies or whatever it was, right? The not quir- to get into what, a whole- what's the what's the chloroquine? What's it called? Hydroxychloroquine. Oh, hy- hydroxychloroquine. There you go. Um, but I mean, like, who knows? These guys, this Van Hollen, this this Fetterman, I mean, they're shit libs, so they probably would have taken that. Well, it's funny. They wouldn't have taken if Trump had gotten reelected. They wouldn't have taken the vax. But since Biden got reelected, they took the vax. But the um, uh, the the thing is, is that you're going to start to see because the again the vax was an experimental vax, and you're going to start to see people have adverse side effects because it is experimental and they didn't know what the outcomes are going to be. Now, are those outcomes going to be worse than COVID itself? We don't know. We don't know. So yeah, we, but we'll, we fi- we'll find out, but it's interesting that a bunch of Senate candidates now are, are starting to, you know, experience this stuff and yeah, we hope they're stuff okay. is going on now. In all seriousness and, and on being PC, I, you know, that's a terrible story. I mean, I hope that, yeah, I hope everybody's okay, you know. And, and um, you know, any any one senator that goes down um, and has to not be in the Senate for any amount of time affects the 50, 50 Senate right now. So any one right. senator, you know, is a big deal. Did Nancy Pelosi have a stroke? No, no, not yet. No. I thought you weren't supposed to say the name. Only if it's followed by stroke. <laughs> <laughs> that was horrible. That was horrible. Please, God, forgive me. Well, I had to watch. I, mean, I had to watch her walking around the Ukraine and shit on TV. Fuck her. You know, uh, I will say I've seen less and less people wearing masks even here. You know, really, we're the 
we're the uh, liberal capital kind of, of America, really. <laughs> so I thought that yeah. was California. Well, the West Coast is the same. The entire yeah, West Coast is the same. So, yeah. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. Listen to me. It's almost 1230. Okay. So let's do sports. If we're still no. waiting for Dave, I don't think Dave's coming. All right. We'll just let's just move on to the main main topic then. Okay. So then apparently this 18. All right. So here we go. So apparently this 18 year old man drove four hours to um, a community in Buffalo, New York, and shot dead 10 people in a grocery store. This is this is true. You know, I'm in the grocery store every other day with my son. I can't imagine, you know, he like knows where he, he's so familiar with the grocery store. He knows where like his treats are. He knows where everything is. I can't imagine like just like, hell breaking out, hell breaking loose. And it's, it's, it's and then and it's just to hear that this had happened. I always assume mental illness. You always assume uh, like I like to blame big pharmacy and, and opioid abuse. But then you hear that that there's another uh, a racial uh um, part of it added to it. If, if that's true, I mean, this is just, this is just a horrible, this is a horrible story. And, um, I just want to fire you up, Gary. Yeah. What's your Todd's take? I just want to fire you up, Todd. <laughs> well, it, it's just horrible. And it, it shows that, uh, you know, um, I, I will say this, a few minutes ago before the show, my grandmother said that, you know, it, it, we go to the store all the time and she was remarking that could have been us, that could have been any American. Absolutely, absolutely. And you never know. And it's just, I mean, it was just a horrible situation. Um, but it's, yeah, I don't have much to add about it add to it or but uh it's no why do you think he why do you think he did it well i mean i just think i I think there's probably mental illness involved i mean i i think i go to that first whenever i see something like this mass casualty event i mean i just don't see how a uh person that was in the right mind would want to do this um you know you do have uh, mass murders that's happened from time immemorial um but um do actually try to do this uh i i would think they, they would have to have something uh going on with that so but yeah it, it's just it's just horrible uh i'm anxious to hear your take uh though well I, I think anytime something that happens like this, uh, regardless of a racial component or anything, is, is uh, absolutely uh, despicable uh, and horrible. Um, I, I mean, the cynic in me, though, the timing of something like this and the cynic in me, uh, not to get conspiratorial, but uh, again, I will... I guess I'll walk down that road. Um, you know, the guy publishes a manifesto. It's got cut and paste 
stuff from the manifesto in 2019. It's, it's, um, it's really kind of banal stuff. Uh, you know, it's, um, you know, the one thing I thought the reason, the thing I thought immediately was like, I think the Biden administration and Merrick Garland and the DOJ have been saying now for months that white supremacy is the biggest problem um, in in the country uh, that they're gonna that they're gonna uh, beef up all of the um, you know entities to track all this stuff. Yet this guy who clearly published a lot of stuff on the internet slips through the dragnet. I mean, I I just don't I don't I don't get it. Like. Um, at first, they were reporting that the police knew of this kid because he was going to try to shoot up his high school like a year and a half ago, um, that he was on the police radar. Now the FBI is denying that he was on the, on the radar. And it's like instead of the feds trying to arrest like mom and dad um, for uh, not wanting a critical race theory taught in their in their schools, you know, perhaps they should really be looking uh, for people like this. Um, you know, I, I, I just think what I find interesting is if, if you really truly are a white supremacist, what makes you feel so much more superior than going in and shooting a bunch of unarmed black people at a fucking grocery store? Um, you know, like I, I don't, I don't get that you know what I mean? Like it, it, that doesn't make any sense. It's actually quite the opposite. It's quite the opposite. It really shows um, for that individual to be, you know, feeling. You don't know, but Gary, you can't, you can't, you can't pretend to like know what goes on in these fucking crazy motherfuckers heads either. Though. No, I don't, but I, I mean, you justify, you just made a very clear cut comment though. Like you can't, you can't justify what's going on in this nut job's head. You know? No, nor was I trying to justify. I'm just trying to unpack. No, but you, you know, said, well, like, why, why, why would I want them dead? Why would I just walk to a grocery store and kill them? Like, you have no idea what goes on in these, in these, in these. I don't know. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, I hope you don't think I was trying to, you know. No, no, no. That, I don't. I, I don't want to attack you personally. I'm. I just. I was more. I. What I was saying is that's to me. That's more of like a blanket statement. You know what I mean? Like, you can't. I. You can't understand. You you were saying what would be like the uh, the K, the KKK's and uh, end, end game in in sending someone to do something like that, right? You know, like right? They, they would never do that, you know. So it's just a crazy person. It's just a it's a fucking crazy person, a delusional, right? That as wherever they got this from, I blame uh I blame uh the video game companies, right? Was it Grand Theft Auto? Yeah, um, I, that, is, that is something and big, because and big farm, yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. We, we are desensitized yeah. uh, to uh, violence and shooting and all that stuff. So, you know, that that uh, that plays a factor, I think, sometimes. And I don't think uh, just because you have uh, a shooter of one race uh, and uh, victims of another, it's not always race. A lot of times it's just unfortunately wrong place wrong time with 
you know, the shooter, shooter having a problem. Um, and, you know, but, and we've seen this before where after the fact, then you see the manifesto, you see all these things online that gave you the hint and no one, um, no one uh, used that uh, prior knowledge to prevent the, uh, the situation. And, uh, you know, it's, it just shows that uh, if you don't bat 100%, if you're law enforcement, you're not, you know, something like this can't happen. What exactly is a manifesto? What do you mean? Like, what, what, everybody keeps talking about this manifesto. Like, what? what uh... Yeah, it's the reasonings for why he committed the acts that he committed. So he he wrote a uh... like, like a living will, like a like a like a suicide note. Yeah. So, well, per- perfect timing as as uh, Dave, Dave gets right, in pal. here. He's here. Hey guys, how you doing? Good to see Good you. Good evening. Good evening. Neil Neil doubt Neil doubted you. I just I, dove I, in. I, I was. I was the only one who had faith that you'd be here. <laughs> I didn't doubt anything. I was just, you know, I just fear that we're running out of time. So, Dave, we're talking about we just began talking about the uh, unfortunate shooting in Buffalo, New York. So, but we wanted we were we were trying to save it for you because we know that you're gonna hit it pretty hard. So, sure, sure. What, what's uh, well, it, what's well, it you? well, I mean, obviously, it's a it's a terrible situation. Um, but I, I mean that that's terrible. It seems clearly inspired by uh, Brenton Tarrant, the fellow in uh, New Zealand, the mass shooter. It looks like his, his manifesto is, um, I'd say, largely lifted from that. Um, and I, I guess there's the shooting itself, and then there's you know kind of the meta discussion about it, like the, the typical political jockeying afterwards trying to the recriminations that sort of thing i don't know if you guys saw but one interesting thing was and and this is also similar to taron is he he drew stuff on his rifle that could be seen through the 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 twitch stream and one of the things he he wrote on there was the names of some of the victims of the wakasha massacre yeah, I, I, I saw that, and I saw some of your tweets earlier um, where you had um, kind of pinged, uh, you know, uh, Pedro. Um, and I, I, thought, I thought that was interesting because it kind of brings Waukesha back into the light again yeah. of what, what transpired there. Um, what also is interesting is how the New York City subway uh, shooter thought he was posting – um, things as well that was basically uh, racially motivated. Oh yeah, that. I mean, that was yeah, that was clearly racially motivated too. And you guys know Tim Wise is right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Jeez, I saw his, like his yeah his whole thing about not 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 uh that this is nothing like right. the subway in Waukesha. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, I, you, you, well, like, you yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. You go ahead. No, I was going to say, like, yeah, I mean, it's it, you. Well, I still you still see the trope floating around the Internet that the guy was just escaping from a crime. You know, the Waukesha guy, you know, it's like you got, well, he, yeah. you know, the cops said he was just escaping from a crime. And it's like, well, that, that's not true, because when they did the I remember when they did the map, 
And it was like the guy had to drive around the entire city to go hit these people in the parade. Yeah. It was like, bro, if you're yeah. escaping from a crime, you're like going, they were like, the highway was like half a mile away. And then the parade was like three miles on the other side of town. The guy weaved through town to get to the parade. It was like, yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. So, so, so a few things. I mean, um, just the response just seems to, I would say varying between useless and, and um, unhelpful, worse than useless. So the useless thing to me is FBI investigation. I mean, I, I guess do it if you want, but to me, investigating this guy would be similar to investigating, well, hey, investigating the Wakasha guy. I mean, you got someone who has a, a, an ideology that commits a violent crime, investigations would make sense if um, I feel like we're kind of uh, still in a hangover from 9-11 where, I mean, you guys probably remember this, but afterwards there were all these fantastic ideas about what was going on in Afghanistan, ludicrous stuff in the paper that uh, Osama bin Laden had this, like a James Bond hideout. You know, he was some mastermind that was planning everything. There, this is like a Muslim terrorist thing. These are people who have, it's not planned from anywhere, you know, it's, it's just one guy, a lone wolf doing something. And that's, and there's, there's nothing to investigate. I think he's not taking orders. He's not part of an organization. He did it. You got the guy. That's it. And then the next question is, well, how can we stop this kind of thing from happening in the future? And I think that's where you get to the unhelpful part, which is um, these people saying, oh, well, this, this great replacement theory don't talk about it talking about it it's not happening it's a lie it's a conspiracy theory and it, and it I, I i think someone who said that was uh what is he secretary of the judge well, yeah yeah i responded to him i i think that's just gasoline people and i think if, if if you're if you're real concerned i mean do you want to score political points or do you want to prevent this kind of thing from happening in the future i think if you gaslight people it probably would drive more people to uh, to commit these crimes. I mean, like an analogy I, m- I made on Twitter is, you know, if you look at the like the Middle East situation, I mean, you know, there, there there is a difference of opinion about, like, say, Israel and the West Bank. I mean, the Israeli position would be they gained that land justly in a defensive war, and um, and, and the country they got it from Jordan doesn't even claim it anymore. So it's, it, they, they, they would call it like a disputed territory, but uh, the Palestinians would call it occupied. And I think most of the international community has kind of jumped on, on to agree with that as well. But so you could, you could dispute like the details of that, but then to say it's a, it's, it's a conspiracy theory that like the Israelis are controlling the West Bank. I mean, now you kind of, you can disagree with the actions of a terrorist, but it's just gaslighting to say that there's no, what he's describing is, is totally not happening. Yeah. I, I think my, per, you know, my perspective on it is it is interesting that it's happening right now. It is a um, politically speaking when everything is looking really, 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 really bad. And the one, kind of point that you had that you were driving um and were seeming to get 
maybe not a lot of traction, but a little traction with, right, which is the whole white, the white supremacy threat. And then, of course, you have this as we kind of are starting to gear up for the election season. Um, you know, again, I don't like to be really cynical, but I mean, I don't know what you saw or what you believe, what you think, Dave, but there was a ton of stuff on Twitter about like this thing glowing beyond, uh, beyond belief. Um, I'm not, I, I, I think, I think your take about the lone, you know, just the lone wolf loner. I mean, obviously this kid, so I don't know if you saw, but the FBI basically came out and said they weren't tracking this kid, but apparently he had been with the local authorities being tracked because he tried to shoot up a school or threatened to shoot up the high school senior year or something Mm. like that. But I mean, again, it goes back to, we keep getting told that we're spending all this money and these valuable resources to keep tabs on people like this. Yet he had quite a uh, in-depth internet presence. Um, Yet again, another one slips through the cracks. I mean, it's like, what are what are we paying for? I, I don't think this is something that the FBI can really can really uh, or law enforcement. I, I'm not sure to what extent they could prevent this kind of thing because it's. It, I, I think law enforcement and investigations make more sense when there is an organization involved, and uh, I mean. That seems to happen so infrequently that the FBI has to create the organization like it did with the Whitmer Whitmer, uh, kidnapping, you know, because if you have a group like let's say there were some uh, white supremacist terrorist group that committed stuff that wasn't all feds. And I frankly, I don't think one exists. But if there were, then you could infiltrate it. You know, you could have a, a, a fed in there. And you could go to meetings and you could listen to what people are saying. And then you could say, okay, they're planning to attack whatever on the state. We're going to arrest them before they do it. We're going to catch them in the preparations and, and we'll have evidence. And, and that, now you're solving something. But it just doesn't seem to really exist in this country. I mean, I'm, I'm really kind of racking my brain here. Any kind of terrorism. Um, it's always going to be reactionary, to right? So, so. Well, I'm just trying to think of an example this century of a terrorist attack or that, that happened or a planned terrorist attack that involved more than one individual and was not basically a rope-a-dope thing by the feds. And, and I, maybe you guys can think of one, but I can't. I mean, there's been terrorism, but most of it, and the most deadly really, has been individuals. I mean, um, the Pulse nightclub, that was one guy. The Vegas, we still don't know what the hell that was about. Yeah, that so, was crazy. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll just kind of. <laughs> yeah, well, well, Columbine's an exception because Columbine, there were there were like a handful of those guys that did stuff together. I mean, Chris Rock had the joke about how these guys were upset they had no friends. He's like, there were six of them. He's like, I don't know, six friends now. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, that I mean that that's not funny. Well, I mean it was, it was, no, it was it funny, funny, but it's it's a. Uh, uh, I, I mean, I did say this century, and that was last century. So, yeah, fair I mean, enough. fair enough. Correct me. No, but cor- correct me if I'm wrong, because I, I can't think of them. Um, the, the, the events I'm thinking of where there was a group, it, it, it was basically a, turned out to be rope a dope. There was um, the Whitmer kidnapping plot. There were those Haitians that like didn't even have shoes in, uh, in Florida that were arrested. Oh, I, oh yeah, I remember. They that. were going to blow up the, the, the Chicago Sears Tower. 
I mean, come on. Uh, and then the ones were that, that have actually happened, the Tree of Life Synagogue, that was one guy as far as I know. Uh, this thing in Buffalo, one guy. The Pulse Nightclub, one guy, et cetera. So they, they have grievances. I, I don't know. I mean, I guess you could ban all guns, but that's probably not going to happen because that would be like banning cars because there's hit and runs or something like that. There's, there's utility in these things far beyond the evil that a, that a handful of people uh, do with them. So, yeah, I, I don't see where the investigation gets you. And then there's a th- that, that brings up, and I think that's the easy stuff, for, particularly for the left. They could just say, oh, we got to ban guns, or we have to double down on how um, white supremacy is a problem. But I don't think that really solves the problem. I, well, I, I will be interested within the next couple of days how the left really approaches this, because I think... Um, <sighs> Not to, I, not to come out of left field or, or a little bit different angle here, but my sense is, is that they've been losing ground tremendously in the arena of like the libs of TikTok with the grooming and all that stuff. They, yeah, yeah. They've, really, they've really shed a lot of light. And I think in the culture war battlefront, right? I mean, they've been taking a beating um with all this stuff and it's just really been exposed and i think people's pundit rich barris did a poll uh, and I, it's like plus pe- people married with children are like plus 29 republican now because of all the whether it's chris rufo doing the crt stuff or guys like james Lindsay and others going after the groomer stuff uh, the left culturally is is on their tree, and then of course the leaked Roe v. Wade. I mean that is like the cherry on the top. But well, I'd be interested to see how the left tries to play this in order to gain some of that that ground back, because they're really going to double. I think they're really going to double down on the white supremacy. They're gonna. I think you're going to see the old switcheroo right where it went from. We're not teaching CRT. It doesn't exist. To everybody needs to take it because this is what happens when you don't. Um, you know, so I'd be interested to see. Go ahead, Dave. Yeah, I was just thinking there's, there's a few points I want to make and just go back to what you said before. Uh, is it convenient for them that, that this happened to, to kind of distract from everything else that's terrible for them? Absolutely. Do I think it's a glowy thing? I, I really don't in this case. Um, I, I think Michael Tracy had a, good, had a good point about that. He's like, the feds do some stuff, but there's also, I, well, let me give you an example. I think if the feds were, were, were if this were a glowy op, I, I don't think they would ever put the names of Lucasia victims on the guy's rifle. I don't think that's something that anyone in the government wants people thinking about, that, there's a, that there could be a connection between the two. That, that one event, that a, an act of anti-white terrorism by a black person could inspire a reaction. I don't think they want that. They don't even want that to be recognized as an act of anti-white terrorism. And someone pointed out today that like on Twitter, Twitter is still saying a car mowed down people. Like they're not even giving agency to the guy who was driving that car. So I, I don't think it's planned. But then as far as um, kind of, the, there's a couple problems I think with, with their reactions to it. Um, I'll circle back to the Ukraine thing in a moment. But before that, just to go back to the gaslighting, So what I was saying is I don't think that's helpful. Like, imagine this situation, like a terrorist attack happens, 
in Israel, right? And um, and obviously people condemn a terrorist attack, but then the Israelis say the guy is attacking us because he says we're we're in the West Bank and his his families and such a thing. That's bullshit. We're not even there. I mean, there's no Israelis in the West Bank. And then it's a conspiracy theory that we're on the West Bank. Would that make the Palestinians, would it, they'd be less likely to commit terrorism or more likely? Yeah. Well, pro- yeah, I mean, probably more, right? Um, yeah, you think about that. They're like, what the fuck are you talking about? My grandfather's olive grove here. A guy stomped on it like yesterday. He was walking through it. I saw Israeli troops right there. No, no, they weren't not there. It's a conspiracy theory. So, I mean, you can disagree. Like, that, I, I think they ought to be a little more sophisticated and a little smarter about that. I mean, instead of saying, no, we're not trying to change the demographics of the country, that, just say, yeah, we are. And you know what? It's a good thing. And here's why. Make that case. I think people might be unhappy with it, but at least they would respect you more and they, wouldn't, they, they would feel respected. I think, I think that would probably turn the temperature down a little bit. They oh, might say, is, what? No, I'm, I'm just, just to tie this in, this is in, in respect to the great, great replacement theory, which right, they're right, saying. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, they're saying it's like there's, um, I mean, like Pedro was talking about that. This, I mean, it's obvious. Look, there, there's no other reason why you're going to let 2 million people walk across the border this year other than that they are, once they're naturalized, they're going to, to vote Democratic. I, I don't even think the, I mean, I know the, the, the point that they want to lower labor costs and all that stuff, but frankly. Will they be naturalized? I think if they're here, I mean, well, let's look at history. Historically, that's happened, right? Like, look what happened. And, and that's the expectation. I mean, it's possible Trump gets reelected and is more aggressive about it and deports. I, I think the next Republican president, if, one, if there is one, I mean, I think part of your platform has to be deporting anyone who came in under Biden, because this is just, it, it's, it's, it's replacement. I mean, it's, they're, they're doing it. Even if you don't want to say maybe replacement isn't the best word, because that, that implies you're getting rid of someone else. But they're clearly changing the demographic of the country for electoral benefit for themselves. And this is, they've talked about this for, I mean, at least 20 years, probably longer than that. I mean, it's obvious that this is what they want to do. And they, they've, they've kind of, uh, they, they think it's a good thing. So if it's just to tilt the election in your favor, it's hard to make that case to other people. But if, if, um, if you want to say, well, there's a lot of benefits from diversity, et cetera, it's kind of a tough case to make, but make that case, but don't deny that it's happening because you just, you're not respecting people. And then the other thing I was just going to say was, and the other reason I also don't think it's a, it's a, it's a glowy kind of thing is it's really, and I wrote this post for Zero Hedge, it's really not convenient at all for the whole Ukraine situation because Ukraine, a lot of, um, I'm not saying the whole country is, is Nazi, that's kind of silly, but some of their most motivated units have the same neo-Nazi kind of iconography that this kid had, the, the Black Sun and all that. And, you know, we could have a debate, are they Nazi Nazis or whatever? I mean, no one had that debate about Charlottesville, right? They're just, they're Nazi. And I, I think the more important thing versus Nazi, Nazi or communist or whatever is that these are really bad people. Like they, I think Steve Saylor made the point that for years, most people don't want to fight in wars, like particularly those kind of wars that they had for the last eight years in the Ukraine. So the kind of people they got to fight Russia or the Russians within their country 
were like soccer hooligans, criminals, really bad people from across Europe. In fact, there's actually um, some speculation that that New Zealand uh, mass shooter was trained by the Azov Battalion. So anyway, the, the point is just that if this were, yeah, it, it's a benefit to them to be able to talk about white supremacy in general, but it's not a benefit for them to talk about Wakasha, and it's not a benefit for them, for anyone to notice that like the symbol right on the top of this guy's manifesto is the same thing on the uniforms that the guys were sending $50 billion in weapons to. I mean, that doesn't help them at all. Because why would you support Nazis over there and, and condemn them here? It doesn't make any sense. Well, so far, they've been able to avoid that, right? I mean, that even before this kid showed up, people were making that point, And they've been able to deflect that. Um, that but this doesn't help that case. No, no, not at all. Not at all. And, and, uh, but you will see them, as usual, stretch... Um, you know, stretch us into places we never thought were possible about why they're, you know, you're going to get, you're going to get those business insider articles, why the Azov Nazis are the good Nazis and why the guy yeah. who killed did the Buffalo shooting is a bad Nazi and what, and what the difference is. You but know, you're it's like here, how difficult that is. Like there was a, there was, a, I forget her name, but there's that woman that was trying to say, oh no, this isn't a, a Nazi symbol. It's actually a symbol that a lot of different white supremacists have. And it just so happens, I mean, there's no way you can spin this. It either is or it isn't. And it's, they both have it. So, you know, they're both good. They're both bad. They, you, you, can't, you can't say Nazism is okay over there and it's good here. And you can't oh, say, well, why, well they're not, not real Nazis there. Oh, uh, well, that's a good question. I, I just think. <laughs> um, I mean, because they do. I, they, mean, I mean, yeah. I, well, I think what they're doing is this. I, I don't know if I've seen that so much. What I've seen is like the, the more honest ones, or even like really far left ones, like Noah Smith, who blocked me on Twitter, but I saw this kind of secondhand. I, I, I think someone asked him about this before this weekend, and I think his reaction was like, oh, yeah, well, there's some bad Nazi elements there, but the, the Nazi party's only won like 3% in the last election and, uh, or something like this, and they say something like, first you beat the Russians, and then what we do is then they'll clean house and they'll get rid of those Nazis. And it's like, Okay, I mean, I don't see that happening. I mean, in fact, the, the only way that, that really happens, to be honest, is, is not them winning. I mean, I saw some speculation. You guys know the story about, uh, about Stalingrad with, with the Sixth Army and, and Paulus and all that? If not, I'll, I'll, real quickly. When he, was, uh, when he was surrounded? Yeah, so he's surrounded at Stalingrad. And Hitler has no intention of... Um, yeah, I, I don't wouldn't think let him retreat, retreat, right? Right, wouldn't let him retreat. And I don't think he had the capability to, to break him out or anything. So he, he didn't quite say, you know, kill yourself. But what he did was he promoted him to field marshal. And implicit was the idea, you're going to fight to the death or kill yourself because no German field marshal to that point had surrendered. And he, he, he fought pretty close to the end, but ultimately Paul surrendered. So he kind of pissed off Hitler on that. But some speculated that something similar was going on with the Azov Battalion not all of them, but the ones in that steel plant, the Azov style in Mariupol, because Zelensky named one of the, the head of the Azov Special Forces a hero of the Ukraine. And they were thinking, like, it's not really going to make, make Zelensky unhappy if all these guys get wiped out by the Russians, because they're kind of a threat to his power. And they're also sort of an embarrassment because, you know, they're kind of like a neo-Nazi pagan sort of group. Yeah, but here's the problem. Here's the problem with that, Dave. Um, those guys actually fight. 
I mean, right. those guys are, you're absolutely uh, right. They're, the mo- and, they're probably and, the most motivated and effective fighters they have. Yeah. And that, and so, you know, that again, so I think it's Zolinsky, like Syria, right? It's like, it's like, it's like the same stupid situation that the U S is in Syria. We're going to, we're going to support the moderate terrorists. I mean, there's no moderates here. The people who are effective are like the fucking radicals. Yeah. I, I, it, it is interesting that how quickly, you know, we, we're, this is being tied into the Ukraine because I talked about Ukraine a little bit earlier before you came on about how uh, we're at 90, we're at 90 plus days and that the, the criminal, that the over criminalization of warfare now, I think, um, Reese at Restation was talking a lot about that. I don't know if you saw that thread. No, um, give me the, the summary. That's an interesting phrase, the overcommunization of warfare. So at, this guy at Resta- uh, Restation. Yeah, I follow him uh, on Twitter. I know the guy. Okay, so he did this really, I thought it was really cool, but he basically talked about how, and we talked about this a couple episodes ago. I'm going to try um, to look it up while you're, while you're talking. Go ahead. So he was talking about how, Putin is basically going to sit on the east in the eastern part of Ukraine because yeah. even if even if he goes because they're they're not going to do a, a blunder where and we had talked about this earlier where where he's just going to start carpet bombing Kiev so then the entire planet has a reason to go after him right he, yeah he, he's basically going to park for however long it takes because there's really no way for Putin to leave at this point because if because we we basically have done to him what we did in World War II, which is like unconditional surrender. And so if he surrenders or if he even if he like resigns or does whatever, he's going to wind up on the dock in The Hague instead of being able to like in years past or previously to World War II, be able to just negotiate a surrender, even if he's on the losing side or the winning side or whatever side he's on or a stalemate. He could negotiate his way out, and that would be the end of it, right? He'd pull the forces out, and that would be it. But now, because you have all this, the, the lawyering and the international criminal court, and I mean, I even remember when I was in the service, and it was like, what the lawyers say today, what we could do. Well, you could. Well, you could do you stop remember some- what? Do you remember what Congress did when you were in the service? Because someone made this point on Twitter. They passed no, I- a, they passed legislation saying if any American servicemen were tried in the Hague we would like literally go into the Hague and pull them out. Like we did not respect the authority of the, of the international criminal court. We would literally invade. Oh, that the Netherlands. was, that was Alberto Gonzalez. That was when he was doing all the, the memos, right? Was that during, yeah. that was like so early, I, right? Yeah. I, 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 I get your point about the legalization of it or the criminalization. I don't think that's the problem per se, but I think you did touch on, I mean, it's it's um I think the demonization makes no sense. It's it's uh, I, I mean even the, there was a Newsweek article earlier. I mean look, war is horrible in any case. People get killed, things get destroyed, innocent people get killed. There's really no way to avoid that. And probably it was a bad thing in the United States over the last thirty years for us to delude ourselves that there was a way to thread that needle with um with precision munitions, we're just going to hit the bad guys. It's complete bullshit. Um, I mean, you can try, but then also at the same time we said that we would put sanctions on the country that hurt everybody and and hurt just average people. So there's no real way to, I think, um, to, to, to say that war, to have war without hurting people, number one, but 
to, to, to kind of just get kind of hyperbolic about it and say, oh, this is a brutal invasion. Well, what's like a non-brutal invasion? I mean, there's no gentle invasion. But to then say something like he's committing genocide, no, he's not committing genocide. If, if Putin were committing genocide, U.S. congressmen wouldn't be walking the streets of Kiev with, uh, you know, with Zelensky. I mean, you, you made the point. He hasn't carpet bombed Kiev. He hasn't really carpet bombed anything, probably except maybe Mariupol, where, I mean, the Russians seem to be doing what we would do if, I mean, the, the Ukrainian troops seem to be preferring to fight in cities where they can and using the civilians as shields, which if an opponent did that to us, I think we would, re- we would respond the same way the Russians would. We would, you know, we would hit those targets. The, the one thing that we would do that the Russians haven't done is, like, I think if we were at war with the Ukraine, I don't think there'd be any power in the Ukraine now. I think we would have knocked out, like, the electricity for everyone. We would have done stuff. We would have done a lot more attacks on their civilian infrastructure, which is what we did in Serbia, or NATO did, and it's what we did in, in, during the Iraq War, too. I mean, Afghanistan, I guess there really wasn't much to bomb. Um, but so I think part of the problem is this moralizing, but the other part is, and you kind of got to it, this idea that Russia has to lose. That's not how you get peace. I mean, if your goal is to have peace, you got to have an agreement that both sides can live with. If you want to force a humiliating defeat on Russia, then they have no reason to negotiate. Number one, number two, it, it risks, it increases the risk of nuclear war. Because if they think that they have nothing left to lose, I mean, what, what, what's to stop them? And then the third thing is, it's, it's, it's hugely risky to, to kind of aim for regime change in Russia. Who do you think is going to take over after, like if Putin were to disappear? What makes you think it's someone who would be pliable to the, you know, that would be better from the West perspective? What if it's not one person? What if there's a civil war and now you got a country with the most nuclear weapons in the world and there's like a bunch of warlords fighting. None of it makes any sense whatsoever. It's just, it's just amazing that um, it's just a mind virus. It makes no sense to me that people are that are even thinking this way. Yeah, I think I, th- I think that's really well put. I, I uh, there's just so many different different ways you could go, and it's interesting that all of these overeducated people seem to can't really can't really seem to either figure it out or I mean, what makes well, it start worse with your me- goal? What's your goal, and then work from there well not only that tell me what your goal is well well, not only that dave but it's not it's not only that they can't figure it out it's it it's it's almost as if they willfully don't want to figure it out i mean it it just it 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 it, we we talked earlier in the show about you know empty empty shelves um with baby formula the inflation the gas prices everything else Yet you've got Mitch McConnell and Nancy Pelosi. Well, you saw Putin's statement on that, right, last week? No, I didn't. Uh, We'll keep going. I'll look it up while while you're doing that. Well, and then you have Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell, who are quote-unquote arch enemies, right? Because one's on one side and one on the other. But they're they're racing each other to give Ukrainians billions of dollars. And it's, you know, and and that's where I think, again, to kind of die – tie in because i know we've digressed a little bit tie into the to the buffalo shooter i mean i think that's where um you know i hate to say this but i think that that's where they 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 like the stuff it takes the heat off of that that kind of stuff i think people were being were cluing in too much i mean you had Rand paul kill that 40 billion you have um well he didn't kill it he delayed it i mean it's still i, I don't see there's any way it's not going to pass i mean i think what he was trying to do is like 
he basically said, I can't, I can't stop it, but let me at least get, get them to agree to an inspector general to, to watch where the stuff is going, which I mean, what is that guy going to do? They, they already said it's like a total black hole where this stuff goes. I mean, this well, is the I, most corrupt country in Europe. So I mean, what are you going to do? The, well, I mean, I think what I found interesting is in one of the bills, I think oil was an oil field rando. He, he, uh, he, he like clipped it and was like, what does Afghan refugee resettlement have to do with like aid to Ukraine? And that was written in, the, in one of the. Yeah, well, bills. well, one connection is um, this isn't a connection to that, but it just reminded me. I think the the inspector general that Rand Paul wants to put in is the guy that did that, the, Af- the Afghanistan papers. And he found I don't know if you guys you guys probably remember this, but I mean, one of the crazy things, one of the richest guys in Afghanistan was a translator you know the story i mean it's just ridiculous where the the general would be like ask the local contractor how much it costs to do whatever and he would he would ask the guy and the guy would give him a quote and he would mark it up like literally a hundred times and then he would say uh, you know you'll kick back like half of this to me or something and he he became rich because our our generals had no idea i mean what what anything should cost i mean it's just ridiculous but uh, while, while I'm talking, I'm just looking for... Oh, here it is. This is what Putin said. Um, this was... He said, I want ordinary citizens of Western states to hear me too. They are now trying to convince you that all your difficulties are the result of some hostile actions of Russia. That from your wallet, you need to pay for the fight against the mythical Russian threat. It's all a lie. And the truth is that the problems faced by millions of people in the West are the result of years of actions by the ruling elites in the West. Their mistakes, myopia, and ambitions. These elites are not thinking about how to improve the lives of their citizens. They are obsessed with their selfish interests and super profits. That was one of them. There was another one that was actually maybe even better. Um, but I mean, where he's objectively true is, you, you, I don't think you can blame Putin for the gas prices here. I mean, that's what, that's what Biden's doing, and then he's canceling, he's canceling leases. Uh, gas leases, and also, I mean, Biden, Russia's not the one that said, we're not going to sell you gas. We said, we're not going to take your gas. We're not going to take your oil anymore. So to the extent that the invasion has caused us problems, it's really been our sanctions in response to the invasion. Oh, here we go. This, this is what I was looking for. This is from the Russian embassy to the UK. The global crisis is largely caused by Western sanctions. Those who conceived them proceeded from short-sighted, exaggerated political ambitions and Russophobia at the expense of their own national interests, economies, and well-beings of their people. And Gonzalo Lira quote-tweeted it, and he said, his analysis is absolutely correct, factually accurate, and logically sound. But if you agree with him, you're a traitor on his payroll and must be ignored if not shunned. See how that works? Yeah, I mean, I think... All of this stuff was happening before Putin did anything in Ukraine and for people to just, you know, turn a blind eye to it is really, I mean, well, I know why one group of people would turn a blind eye to it, but to see everybody else fall into line and then be, you know, you see these people, these Ukraine flags in their profile. I mean, even the everyday people who are supporting the Ukraine as if like, you know, uh, I'm I mean, I shudder at the fact that they keep trying to creep us even closer and closer in involvement, especially with the Finland and Sweden 
now uh, wanting uh, to be in, into NATO. That, that, it's like, you know, that, that makes no sense either. I mean, I, I saw someone on Twitter talking about that. And like Finland, like, first of all, you're, you're worried about Russia invading you. The last time Russia invaded you in uh, 1939, I guess if you don't count the continuation war, I mean, that didn't go too well for them. They, they won eventually, but it was really costly. You guys are tough. You're very well defended. And they're, they have their hands filled with the Ukraine. And not only that, there's no, like, they have no conflict with Finland. Why would they want to invade Finland? It makes no sense. So you don't need to join NATO to protect against Russia. But by joining NATO, now you've pissed off Russia. And now they're like cutting off the electricity to you and it's causing you economic problems. And then Sweden, like you were neutral during World War II, right? And then through the whole Cold War, you didn't need, when the Soviet Union was much bigger and, and more of a threat than current year Russia, you didn't need NATO. And now you do? It doesn't make any sense. And um, someone made the point, it's like, like maybe, it's kind of like the current thing. It's like they're joining because it's a, uh, they're just jumping on the bandwagon. I don't know. I, I, there's not a logical answer for it. It's like when uh, the Yankees would sign guys so the Red Sox couldn't sign them. <laughs> it's like they, you knew they weren't. You knew they weren't going to play. They I just mean, signed them so they could have them. Here's the thing. In, in the worst case scenario, like, like I don't think there's, there's any reason this would happen in, in in the near future. But let's say there were a conflict between Russia and Finland. Finland would still get the support of the United States and NATO without even being a member of NATO, just like Ukraine is now, because they want, you know, because NATO is basically an anti-Russia alliance. So they would be happy to do what they could to hurt Russia. So and, and I think that's kind of the core of the problem and what's kind of extending the Ukraine war is our goal, the West's goal, is to hurt Russia. It's not to end the war as quickly as possible or try to come up with some agreement. They, they, they don't want to do that. And you, you see people say, it. oh, no, we, this can't end unless, like I saw someone tweet the other day, Russia needs to, Zelensky shouldn't talk to Putin until the West has shown it's, it's so behind Ukraine that the starting point for the negotiations would be Russia pulls all its troops out to where they were on February 23rd. I mean, this is just not realistic. It's not a realistic demand. And like, what else can the West do? to show it's supporting the Ukraine beyond the weapon sales and the training and just the ridiculous, like the, the sanctions on Russia. It's one thing for the United States. I mean, it hurts us. You guys know what the gas prices are at the pump and also it's raised food prices. But I mean, Europe, they're a lot more dependent on Russian energy than we are. And now they're, they're trying to, I think they're going to phase out Russian oil, which would be bad. But the real thing is the, is the natural gas. The, the head of BASF, the German company, he said if we didn't have Russian natural gas, like something like, I forget the exact number, like half or two-thirds of German companies would go out of business. It would just be like an economic Great Depression. So, I mean, there comes a point where you have to ask, I mean, what, what are you willing to, to sacrifice to, like, to hurt Russia? And frankly, it seems like we're hurting ourselves with these economic these sanctions more than we're hurting Russia. There was someone tweeted a, 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 a French reporter who went to went shopping like at a grocery store in Russia. And he was surprised, like the shelves are all full. The prices aren't really that high. And that's consistent with some other stuff I've seen on YouTube from foreigners and Russians that like people speak English 
you know, like here, I'm going to go to a grocery store. I'll show you what I got. And it's like most of the prices are cheaper. They pay less for gas. Um, and we're, you know, we're paying like through the nose for gas. It's, it's just, I, I, I don't see the end point to it. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, I mean, I, you know, Russia is probably one of those countries as smart where it's like they, they can consume their own resources where the United States. They're much more self-sufficient. Yeah, they're, they're self-sufficient in food. They're the largest exporter of wheat in the world. They're self-sufficient in energy. They're one of the largest exporters of oil, one of the largest exporters of fertilizer, steel, et cetera. They're, um, yeah, they're, they're not like, we're treating them like they're, like they're Iraq or Libya, like some, some little shit country that you can just bully. But I don't think you can. It's just, and I don't think you need to. They're not, they're not. That's the other thing too. I think maybe it's just the, they believe all the stuff they've been, the lies they've been saying about Russia over the last several years about Trump and Russiagate and all that. I mean, they're not an ideological opponent of us. They have interests that diverge from us in some ways because they're not us. They have their own, you know, they don't believe in all the same stuff we do. They don't have the same interests we do. But there's no reason we couldn't have a modus vivendi with them where we respect our sphere of influence, they respect theirs, and we don't bother each other. I mean, there's no, it's not like, it's not like the Soviet Union where their goal was the whole world will become communist. So that's an ideological conflict. It's either us versus them. With Russia, they're, they're just, I mean, they may not be democratic according to our standards, but neither is Turkey, and Turkey is in NATO. So it's really hard to find a criticism of Russia you couldn't make of Turkey. Yeah, I, I mean, well, that, that's, that's where it all comes down to just picking and choosing. Um, and it's interesting, like picking and choosing, like who, who's, who's bad today. I mean, that goes back again to, to, to what they'll stretch, right? Those Nazis are good Nazis, and the, but these Nazis over here are actually bad Nazis. And here's the reason why it's like, well, Erdogan, who I want to say, like, what was it, like two years ago, was on the chopping block. Like, he was going to go when he arrested, like, the entire oh, the coup, the coup attempt. Yeah. Yeah, when he arrested, he arrested like half of Turkey. It was like he's gonna go. We gotta go. And then, like yeah. Todd made the point earlier in the show, right? Americans' attention span is about ten seconds. Then they shifted once they realized they couldn't despoil Erdogan. Then they needed Erdogan because he was uh, helping with the whole Syria thing. So then yeah. it was like now Erdogan's okay again. And now to your right to your point, and it's like. It's the same thing, right? It's like, well, this guy's a bad guy, but he's a good guy today because he's our our bad guy. Um, but one of the things that it's interesting that you talk about being self-sufficient, I was um, reading a thread about with uh, Second City Bureaucrat, got into it with this, like, I don't know, I guess she's an academic or something about being self-sustaining. And her, her thing was like... Um, you know, uh, what do you put here? Let me read, let me read it here. It was, it was really good. Um, uh, some guy goes, uh, his, his name's at Yaki revival. He's like, the cost is simple to calculate. My children should not be reduced to eating slop so that the Nigerian biomass can be sustained. I will not give up an inch of admire my family's quality of life to feed the world. This lady, Catherine Marshall, says the Nigerian biomass probably doesn't want to share its massive stores of cashews, cocoa, pineapple, grain, oil seeds, <laughs> vegetables, and seafood with you either. 
Don't forget to, and of course she's a blue check mark, right? So she's an idiot. Yeah. Um, don't forget to boycott their crude petroleum and gold as well while you're adjusting to the selfish sufficiency. Um, when Second City Bureaucrat, he goes, it sounds like the only solution is regionalism and trade isolation. You can move to Nigeria and enjoy their munif- munificence and endless bounty and we'll suffer a bleak and trying existence in the wasteland of America. <laughs> I mean, he... And she's like, good luck fueling your vehicle vehicles and living almost on meat and bread alone. And it's like, does this, this fucking late, like what planet is this lady on? We are like the most resource rich country. Well, I think in, she was talking the about, the, if I remember correctly, that thread, I think she was talking about the UK. So they're not as self-sufficient, but I mean, this is just a stupid thing. You don't have to agree with the Nigerians to get access to Nigerian oil or nigerian resources they will sell it to you i mean that's that's how the world works that's beautiful that's really a beautiful thing about global trade the people that are into trade should, should celebrate that we don't have to agree with them with anything we all you have to agree with is what's a fair price for your stuff and then we give it to them and they give us what we want and, and that's that's why the whole idea that people used to say during the iraq time oh it's war for oil that never made any sense in the fucking world because you add up the price of invading a country it's a million times cheaper just to buy the oil from them. They'll sell it to you. They're not going to drink it. That's what they do with it. They can't use it all. They're happy to yeah. sell you their oil. That's all it yeah. is. I mean, it, 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 again, it, you don't have to bomb anyone to get stuff that they will sell you. Willingly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it just, I mean, again, it, you have to think there is some, something nefarious happening that the elites would orchestrate this kind of stuff when it's as simple as, to your point, a simple trade. Hey, I've got a lot of this stuff. Do you want to buy it? Uh, I yeah. mean, it, so, it's. I mean, I think you're getting to a good question, which is, well, all right, why are we essentially fighting a hybrid war against Russia over Ukraine? And you can totally object to their invasion of the Ukraine, but I mean, there's things you could do. I think we've gone way beyond what. Like there's things you could do to express your displeasure with it that stops short of sending ten annual arms, you know, supplies to Israel to them in two months, and levying like a level of sanctions that has given us record gas prices and is probably contributing to the the famine in Sri Lanka. I mean, because they're also like a big you know wheat exporter. And it's probably yeah. I saw. And, and, oh my goodness! I saw yeah. that. Those people. So, I mean, those poor people. They're setting things on everything on fire and everything. Yeah, Crazy. I mean, we're. That's the thing. We're like you said. We're self sufficient. What What makes Americans? What hurts us in the pocketbook is going to literally make people in poorer countries starve, because we're we're like even if we didn't have any imports, we could feed ourselves. But Egypt can't. You know, countries like that can't, and they're they're going to have a problem. So, so why are we doing this? And um, like, if you look at the big picture geopolitically, I mean, obviously Russia is not the, the main geopolitical competitor to the U.S. That would be China. China has 10 times their population, 10 times their economy. So like theoretically, you would think, well, what do we want Russia on our side to kind of as a counterweight with China? I, I mean, the only, the, the generous interpretation of this that it's not completely insane would be 
they think they can kind of knock off Russia or really knock Russia down a few pegs and intimidate China that way. But I, I, it's, I don't think it's going to happen. I, I, like, I don't think Russia's going to let us do that. And I don't think China is, China, like, can, you know, can see two steps ahead. They know that yeah. if, they, if we successfully cancel Russia, they're next. So they're going to support Russia. I mean, it's just. Yeah, why would they even care, too? I mean, here's the other thing. It's like, well, what do they, you know, it's like they're going to keep doing their thing. Well, I think the idea is uh, maybe these people are thinking that we could intimidate China. And although there's another theory and, and it's, it's, it's terrible. I mean, I hope it's not true, but I posted on this the other day. There's some uh, retired Australian diplomat who used to be their deputy ambassador to, to China. And he thinks that kind of like the same people who want to confront Russia in the West also want to foment sort of make a Ukraine for China. And like maybe kind of um, instigate a conflict over Taiwan or even, he said, Australia in the event that Taiwan doesn't take the bait. So, I mean, hopefully that doesn't happen. The, the one good thing is everyone in East Asia, and this is really sort of, I, I would say that the greatest accomplishment probably of the U.S. military since World War II is not a war, but it is the prosperity unleashed by U.S. naval hegemony in, in East, the Asia-Pacific. I mean, for like 70, 80 years or whatever, it let people that had historically been at each other's throats, I mean, China and Japan, make a ton of money off of each other and, and make each other richer. And that's a, that's a beautiful thing. And I think that's, that's the one thing that makes, that's the one hopeful, reason to be hopeful that there won't be a war between China and Taiwan because they make a lot of money off of each other. Like with that status quo, but the reason why there's a potential for one is it's not all about money with countries like Russia. I don't think invaded Ukraine over money and China wouldn't invade Taiwan over money either. It's about pride. It's about their history. It's about complicated relationships between neighbors that in some sense are the same country that we don't really understand as outsiders. Most of us don't. So let me let me ask a question then. So in sure. your estimation, I know you probably look at some of the same places I look at. What's your overall view with the the current status of the war in in the Ukraine? I mean, is is there someone winning? Is it a stalemate? Is it one side over the other. I mean, what it's interesting because, and I'll, and I'll just say this and then I'll let you answer Dave. Sure. You look at some people's threads and you would think the Ukrainians are like overwhelming at the gates of Moscow. Yeah. And, and then you look at other threads and it's, you know, poor slovenly Ukrainians surrendering, you know, every selling stinger missiles, which I, I kind of believe like, or not stinger missiles, the, the, whatever they're sending them selling those like in the they black market. Some stingers, yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, they're selling all that stuff. On the which black market let's just stop for a moment. Think about how crazy that is. We're sending stinger missiles to a country. We have no idea where these stingers go and these can be used to shoot down commercial airplanes. I mean, <laughs> anyway, but continue. Go ahead. And we're right. And I'm just saying, like, and then some of the posts you just see, like, videos of like Ukrainians surrendering left and right. Yeah. Sell like black market selling weapons. Um, I think I saw one video, one crazy video. The Ukrainians had gotten a tank 
and it was like issued to them and these three dudes drove it and they sold it to the russian rebel like the uh republic of the nets yeah yeah the the nets people they're like here's this tank we got here just give us like five grand so what what do you i mean how and, and I kind of made the point, and I'm sorry, and I, I want to ask you a question. Now I'm making a, a commentary here. No, go ahead. It's fine. Just show. But I, I think um, oh, one of the things I said is, like, we have all this technology at our fingerprint, our finger point, but it's even harder for me to, to go through all this information, not even figure out who's doing what, who's winning where, and what's going on, because it's just, like, all over the map, and they do such a horrible job of, like, blocking or not allowing everything to be hurt so you can't even you have to like dig for everything now you have i mean i think it's harder now to get a story in 2022 than it was in 1922 because 1922 you probably didn't give a shit about what the hell was going on everywhere else anyway so the local stuff was far more important but on top of it now even with all this technology and this this ability to get access to information you still have no idea what's what but anyway, so my, 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 my question is to you really is like, what, what, did, what do you think? Who do you think is actually winning this thing? Okay. Uh, short answer is I think Russia is winning. And, but to your point more broadly, you're right. It, it's tough to, to sort out the information because you have, for the most part, Russian accounts are, are kind of going to spin things in their direction. And the pro-Ukrainian accounts are going to spin things in, in their direction. And even our own government is not being objective. They, I think, uh, they admitted that they are, they've been passing along misinformation because it kind of, there, there's a war going on and then there's an information war going on about the, the war. Ultimately, though, I think the, the war, the truth of it will come out. I think it's going to get to the point where it's going to be hard for one side to, to it's, it's going to be apparent who's winning and it's going to be tough for the other side to kind of spin it otherwise. But so here's why I, I kind of think uh, Russia's winning. Um, one reason is when, when you have this kind of thing going on where you can't rely on, um, well, I, I actually wrote a post about this last, last week. So I made a couple of points. One, there's an economic war and there's a, and there's a, there's a military war. The economic war that the West has been waging against Russia Russia seems to be weathering that pretty well. One, like one quantitative way you could look at that is the value of their currency, the ruble. When uh, we first put the sanctions on them, Biden said the ruble is going to turn to rubble. Last I checked, I haven't checked it today, but like a few days ago, the ruble was trading at about 18% higher than it was before the war started. So yeah, I saw that, that too. Yeah, so, so that... That's objectively, that's doing better. Um, anecdotally, you look at videos from Russia and like the, there's, there's food on the shelves. That doesn't seem to be a problem. Um, they don't seem to have run out of equipment or, or parts or anything like that. Early on in the war, there, was, there were some claims that, oh, the, the, they'll last three weeks and then that's not going to work. So um, economically, I think they've weathered it. Militarily, what I try to look for is accounts that are kind of making a statement against their interest. So like an example of that, and I mentioned this in the article was when Russia says our, our flagship, the, the Moskva sunk, that's a statement against their interest. 
So it's yes, probably I remember, true. I remember that. I remember yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Like you're, you're not going to – like there's no benefit to them saying their own ship sunk if it didn't sink. So, um, yeah, and, and then I mentioned that, that Austrian colonel who does these reviews of it, and he's part of the West. And I, I assume he's rooting for the Ukraine. But, but he pointed out he thinks Russia's winning. The other thing that made me, makes me think they're winning is um, – well, there's a few other things. One is the Ukrainian side just objectively has been lying more than the others. They they made up that story about the uh, about the ghost of Kiev and the, the Snake Island story. Um, so the the side that needs to lie more, you figure that's that's kind of telling you something. And also they have censored information about damage to like their infrastructure. Like you see these videos where that part's blurred. Um, but I think more to the point, Russia has and someone had a good thread about this that I shared. Like the way their their military is set up, they have a lot more artillery than like a NATO style country does, and they have more range with their artillery. So if they're in a battle of attrition and they have more artillery, chances are they're doing more damage than the other side. Now it's not if you don't get casualty reports from the Ukraine, you don't find out how much equipment they're they're losing. Uh, it's it's tough to to really show that objectively, but I think what's going to happen is we're going to get to a point probably fairly soon where it's going to be undeniable because right now they're fighting sort of like a trench battle, like world war one, almost these are trenches and really built up fortifications that were, that were developed over an eight year period. And it's, and it's tough going, but, and the Ukrainians have been able to like kind of retreat from one position to another and, and, and cause the Russians to take losses as they do that. But there's not an endless, you know, number of trenches for them to go at some point, you run out of places to retreat and then either the Russians are going to encircle them or they're going to break through. I, I think that's probably inevitable unless there's um, unless there's like an armistice before then. So I like the short answer is I don't know for sure, but it seems to me the Russians are kind of very slowly grindingly making progress. Yeah, I think I, I, I would agree kind of from, from what I've read as well. And I think, just based on Russia's posture, even in the beginning of the invasion. Go ahead, Todd. You got something? I have a question. What is the definition of winning? Good question, Todd. I, it, um, I would say from Russia's perspective, it's probably what Putin laid out in his February 24th speech. Like he said, this is why we're going in. This is what we, he wanted to accomplish. And I think part of it was to basically um, – free the, the the Donetsk republics to try to get that get the the Ukrainian forces that were shelling them just kind of to stop doing that. So they're they're basically trying to get them out of the Donbass. I think that's a big thing they want to do. And then also I think they wanted to um, secure Crimea. Like they had Crimea before they had annexed it. But for example, the Ukrainians had dammed that river. I think it's the Dnieper going into it. So they basically made an artificial um, drought in Crimea, and and they've they've since they've since solved that. They blew up the dam. So uh, I think initially they probably just wanted to basically, you know, get get the the Ukrainian military out of the Donbass, and also to to get a land bridge to Crimea to solidify that. But I was, now I was going to say that's that's what Mariupol is all about, right? Isn't that right, like right, the... right? Yeah, that would be part of the land bridge. 
But I, I think that as the war has gone on and they've taken more losses, I think realistically at this point, if they were to stop now, to answer Todd's question, I, I think the more losses Russia takes, kind of like the the more they need to claim legitimately it's a victory. And I think right now, if they got everything they said they asked for, or they he stated he wanted to do on the on the twenty fourth, I don't know if Russians would consider that a victory given how long it's gone. They might want more now. What would more look like? Getting rid of Zelensky? I don't know about that, but I think more realistically might be taking the whole coast, for example, like taking Odessa or something. But I don't think they're going to try anything like that until they they get the Donbass part resolved. Yeah, interesting. So, well, just to circle back to the original comment, what do you think going forward? How do you think the, um, now that we're going to jump back into the domestic stuff here, but just to tie in the whole conversation together, what do you think the the Buffalo thing will play out with in the next couple of days? I mean, how will, uh, we kind of left that unstated is how the left will try to play this against the right other than the... Con- well, well, we, con- well, we know already from what they've done this weekend, right? I mean, they... They're, they're trying to use it to sort of make discussion about demographic change and intentional demographic change to make that verboten. And they're, they're trying to use it to anathematize um, Tucker Carlson as if this kid, you know, watched Tucker. I mean, he's an 18-year-old fucking kid. He's not watching Fox News at night. Um, he, I did a control left on his thing. He doesn't mention Tucker once. This is not the demographic that watches cable news. It's it's guys like us and older than us. It's like boomers that watch it. Teenagers don't get their information from there. So that's what they're going to try. As for how, how and, and Biden's going there when he didn't go to Acacia. As for yeah, how that's, cra- that's, that's, that's crazy to me. That, that, that yeah. is absolutely. I mean, now I mean, to me, Dave, unless you see it differently, I mean, they, they're, they're all in. I mean, that is, that is a statement of we're all in on this. Yeah, but I don't think it's going to work for him. I, I think that, I think. I think there's too much going on, and I think I think news cycles go too. It's just I don't think they can. I don't think they can keep this ball in the air that long, because there's too much other stuff happening. I mean, Sailor made the point years ago that they need an anti-white focus to 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 kind of coalesce their their coalition, because they a lot of these groups don't really like each other. So they need an external enemy or an internal as it is. Yeah, we've so talked about gonna, this before. Yeah, yeah. So no need to rehash that. But that that's the goal with this. But, I mean, well, one thing is you had like, what, three or four other mass shootings this weekend? There's the one in, in California. Uh, there's a few others. So these happen we frequently had- enough, unfortunately. What's that? Well, no, I, I was going to say what I found so interesting was the night before Milwaukee, like a bunch of people got shot. You had people getting yeah, shot down by yeah, the basketball yeah, yeah, game. Yeah, right, right. They I had, mean, that wasn't a mass shooting, but there was – well, it was a different kind. It wasn't like one guy. It was just total no, it was mu- it was multiple shootings yeah, in yeah. one night. Yeah. And that thing – they and it's it's interesting because they've – you talked about like gaslighting. I don't know if we, I would use the term gaslighting. But they've desensitized people to that kind of violence and that kind of inner city violence where nobody even bats an eye. Nobody even, th- like, thinks about it. And it's interesting because you look well, at the accounts. It's the same, like, it's a kind of like normie Republican uh, conservative accounts. So I was like, here's how many people died, got shot in Chicago, whatever. Like, they, they have to care more about, like, black people shooting each other than Democrats do. 
I mean, okay, Democrats are the real racists. I mean, what do you want me to do with that? Yeah. No, and but I, I find it <laughs> it's yeah, it's funny that you say that. But it's like I find it interesting that you would I mean you get the same typical race hustlers now are coming out from the woodwork that are like, oh see, oh, those white people just want to kill us all. And it's like when I think about things that you've posted before, I think about stuff that sailors posted before. And it's like you would have to have one of these buffaloes like every other day to even catch up to the to the type of murder that is either done that that they do to each other or that they do towards white people. And yet we're going to we're going to hear about this for like forever now. Um, I'm going to I'm going to surprise you for a second here, maybe. And I'm going to say it's by itself. That's understandable. Because it's like, I mean, if, uh, like, take Locatia, like, he, he killed half a dozen or something people. I mean, more white people died yesterday in car accidents, I'm sure, like, probably 100 times than he killed. But that's not the point. There's, there's a difference. It's offensive when someone is killing you or people like you just because of, uh, of who they are. So I could see black people being understandably disturbed by a terrorist going and just shooting you know, just black them because they're black. It's horrible. You, people shouldn't do that. But um, so, I mean, that, that, that's understandable that they would focus more on an act of terrorism than an act of just kind of random crime. But there's another element now, which is that they never really like to focus on the random crime or I don't even know if random is the right word. I think that's, that's a misused word, but they never focused on say urban crime before because they're not the party of, law and order they're the party of more lax policing and more so today since the george floyd thing because now it's undeniable that crime is up so it's there's even less incentive for them to talk about this stuff because it 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 just reflects poorly on them it reflects poorly on their on their district attorneys and their governors and their mayors because things are clearly getting worse under their control and you know, why would you vote for them to have more of that? So it's not a winning issue for them to talk about it. That's why they're not talking about it. Yeah, and I wasn't trying to, min- you know, I wasn't trying to minimize the event, but I, I was trying to extrapolate in the sense of you're right you in know, terms of scale, but it's still, you know, you flip about it from our perspective. It's it's if it, it's still offensive, like when people say, "Oh, terrorism only does," like they talk about Muslim terrorism. It's only responsible for this much versus all these people that get killed. It's like, okay, but I, I want zero of it. I don't want any of it. You know, no, 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 agreed, agreed. Yeah. Agreed. No, of course, of course. And like I said, I, I wasn't trying to minimize. I was no, no, I'm not saying you are. I'm just yeah. I'm just making I'm just I'm just I can understand people being being more put it this way, in general, I can understand people being more horrified by terrorism than by just typical crime. I mean, obviously, the, the loved ones of people who get killed are going to be sad either way, but the rest of us are going to be more offended by someone. It's, it's not even, it's not like, because it's, it, it seems more evil. It's not like they were shot in, you know, accidentally or something. It was because they were, they were deliberately killed. There was no profit in it. I mean, it's, it's bad. It's just, I guess it's just horrible 
all of it's horrible, but you know what I mean? Yeah, no, no, I, 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 I totally get it. Do you, do you see, um, I just, uh, before we move on here, let me uh, ask you a question. I need you to put your uh, portfolio armor hat on. Sure. Um, what, what's the end game here with the inflation? Sorry, that's a very, that's a very open-ended question, but from your, from where you sit, I mean, what, are we, I mean, I, I hate to use, you talk, you said you used hyperbolic before and sure. I hate to, and I hate, I hate to be, I hate those people. And I hate those accounts that are like, this is the 2007 all over again. It's like, I want to know what exactly is. And again, it's, it's not that I want to know because I'm going to play some, some, some puts on some stocks, you know, I'm not going to short or so. I just kind of mm-hmm. want to know, like, what, what, what is the plan? Where, where are we going with this? Yeah, sure. Um, well, there's two. There, there's two kinds of inflation, broadly speaking. I mean, there's one part that is like a, a supply side inflation. That that's there's lower supply of some things. Partly, it's still a hangover from COVID when no one was doing. They weren't. They weren't. You know, drilling for oil and doing all that other stuff. <clears throat> and there's also supply constraints due to the war and our sanctions, that kind of thing. So that part, uh, that's just going to have to work itself. That's, that's like physical kind of real world stuff. The other part of it is demand side inflation. And that's from all the government spending and particularly the, the COVID assistance um, over the last few years and the low interest rates. And as far as what's going to happen to that, there was a post or, or a, a, a note out from a Credit Suisse strategist named Zoltan Pazar. And uh, it's a pretty interesting reading uh, um, on Friday. He, he's a guy like Zero Hedge talks about a lot. And just to, he's like a really smart kind of young guy who basically got a start by writing a letter, I think in 2008, to the head of the New York Fed and saying, look, there's stuff that's about to blow up. We should do stuff about this. And the guy like totally agreed with him. He's like an expert in financial plumbing. So he made an interesting point in his note. And uh, what he basically said was, you know, I, I think uh, legally the Fed has two mandates. One is to keep inflation in check and the other is to maximize employment. And then kind of there's a third mandate, which is financial stability. Like you don't want things to blow up. And what he said is inflation is so bad at this point, the Fed, forget about the other two. It's going to focus on one thing, and that's inflation. And this is an interesting part. In order to to lower inflation, he's like, they need stocks to go down. They need real estate to go down, and they need unemployment to go up. And he's like, President Biden is not going to stop. Like, they have free hand. And he made this analogy or a metaphor. He talked about how they used to call Ben Bernanke helicopter Ben because he dropped money, you know, like lower interest rates. He's like, you could think of Jerome Powell as helicopter Jerome, but he's not dropping money. He's dropping napalm. And he's dropping like the, the financial equivalent of it is what you say was volatility. So, you know, the wealth effect people talk about, like in the past, you want people, the good things of their 401k is going up and your stock account is, is more, you feel richer and you'll feel, even if you're not selling it, you're going to feel more confident buying something, right? You look at your 401k statement, you're like, oh, you know, I have more money, I'll, I'll do it. So that leads to more demand and all else equal, that leads to more inflation. So in order to fight that, 
what the Fed is going to do is going to have a negative wealth effect. They're deliberately going to knock down stocks and that's going to make you feel poor and make you feel like you don't want to spend as much and that's going to lower inflation. It's probably also going to cause a recession, but we're kind of like halfway into one anyway, because we had negative growth in the first quarter. And he didn't make this point in his note. And this is all stuff I'm actually going to start writing up when I get off the call with you guys and I'm still awake. Um, but I think the Fed has more freedom to, to, to really go hard this year because the congressional, pretty much everyone already agrees Republicans are going to like sweep the midterms. So they're not going to be blamed for it politically. You know what I mean? And also, I think they want to get this done well before the presidential election. So they're not accused of interfering in that. So long story short, um, they're really committed to fighting inflation. The Fed is very powerful. They're probably going to be able to do it. I, I'm, I'm confident they will be. But the cost of that's going to be to, to probably uh, lower stocks and real estate in the near term. So if you're, if you're a Republican mm-hmm. and you go in and you get elected, you walk in the, you walk in the door. You mean this fall? Or like you're talking about Congress or talking about like a White House? Yeah, I'm talking about Congress. Okay. So you walk in, right? And you're like, you're like, bro, we got the mandate. We got the mandate now. We're going we're gonna to do some things. And then you walk into this economic catastrophe. How do you, I mean, how do you play that politically? I mean, because you blame Biden and, for it. It's Biden. Well, you blame, He's the president, yeah, but, right? Yeah. You know? Yeah, but you blame Biden for it. But you, at the same time, you, you wonder what I, I would do if I were them? I mean, what I would do is, here's what I would do if I were like, say, well, speaker how do you, of the house. Go ahead. Well, how, no, you well, I'm sorry. No, and I'm sorry for cutting you off. I just, it, it's, you, you walk in there and within your first two years, it's like, how do you protect your constituency? Because when you went in the day one, it's going to be a lot worse by the time you're turning around at that two year mark, right? Where, where if you're a Republican running for president and you can pin it on Biden, you're going to need all those Republicans in there, even though. Well, you know, it, from- no, it, it, it might actually be over by then. I mean, um, Zero Hedge had a, had a post about this last week. They, they were quoting another market strategist who was saying, if you look at the average bear market, they, they don't last that long. So he was saying, like, it might be over by like October, for example. I mean, it could be really like the damage could be a lot, but. I think you'll, they'll probably be coming out of it, like whatever the issue is by the end of your two year term in Congress. <clears throat> but if you're, if you're asking me what I would do if I were them is I would, I mean, I, you probably can get a lot of stuff vetoed, but I would just try to just highlight the contradictions. Like for example, I would uh, pass legislation to open up more areas for, for oil drilling to try to make, to increase the supply of domestic energy. And let him try to, you know, let Biden veto that if he wants. I would do things to make, I would pass legislation that is going to, like, I think what you can do is you can, like I said before, there's like the demand side inflation and there's a supply side, right? So the Fed is going to do what it's going to do as far as reducing the demand side inflation. And I don't think you want to interfere with that fiscally. Like, because Biden made things worse with that, you know, with those giveaways. You don't want to just, throw cash to people. That's not going to help. But I think what you can do with Congress, what you can try to do 
is increase the supply, like increase supply to lower that part of inflation. What can you do to increase the supply of domestic energy? Um, you know, maybe rethinking, maybe ending the war in Ukraine or, or trying to, uh, I mean, they don't have the power over that, but doing something like to sunset the, the, uh, the sanctions on Russia, say, we need to, sun- like, if these aren't, we need another vote to extend them. Just things that are make things more reasonable, like uh, particularly ones that impact us, like, like, uh, like energy stuff. And of course, you could always, you know, get special counsels and hamstring Biden with investigations and that kind of thing. That wouldn't be bad. <laughs> what do you what do you think the likelihood of impeachment is? That's a really good question. That's a good question. Um, I, I I think politically you have to think about it. Like, are you better off impeaching him or just letting him finish the term and run it against him? Yeah, because then he can eat. He can eat all that shit, right? He can eat that shit sandwich. You kind of keep him around and just beat him up, right? Yeah, he's also. I mean, I don't know if Kamala. Kamala reminds me of a joke that 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 Dave Chappelle said like twenty years ago. He said, "It's amazing how 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 much the world changed in a few years." Because when he said this, he was like maybe like less than five years away from Obama being president. But his joke was, if there's ever the, the first black president is going to have a Mexican vice president. I remember that. Would dis- yeah, you remember that? That would discourage yeah. racists yeah. from assassinating him because they'd be stuck with a Mexican. So and ironically, the, the first one was Biden. Um, but Biden having Kamala is kind of like, it, it almost discourages you from wanting to impeach Biden. because. Well, no, you know what? It's, it, it really makes you, it's the horns of a dilemma. You guys have to think, who would be a worse candidate to run against, Biden or Kamala? Like, they're both terrible. So I don't know. I mean, maybe you just stick with Biden. I, they're both really bad. I, I think in terms of running the country, Kamala's probably worse. Just because the one, it's really tough to talk about this because we don't know how competent Biden is at all. I would say, like, I, to the extent that he is competent, I think Saylor made a good point months ago that maybe he remembers the Cuban Missile Crisis and maybe, you know where I'm going with this. It, it, it's a scary thought to think that he's the only thing keeping us from nuclear Armageddon because we're in trouble yes. if that's the case. You see him shuffling around. You're like, oh, geez. Yeah. I mean, Kamala doesn't. You know, what does she know? I mean, I could see her be like, oh, yeah, sure. Let's go ahead. Well, Let's invade Russia. Because, you know, uh, we have uh, Thomas Triple Seven. We haven't had him on in a while, but he used to make these like. You know, analogies. he blocked me on Twitter since uh, since I think we last spoke. But that's really a lot of people blocked me. Like, anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I don't know why, Dave. I always find your post very interesting. I don't, I have a. I, you haven't run a foul of me yet, so I, th- I think we had a again. disagreement about uh, movies or something stupid. I don't know. And he blocked you. All right, um, <laughs> it's okay. So, but he used to make this uh, analogy. We used to talk a lot about you know the the politics, and he's real into the to the to the Cold War and the Cold War era, and he would always kind of talk about like how you know 
basically the people in charge of the United States. It's like uh, right before Gorbachev, right? It's like the Chernenkos and the, and boy, man, I look at Biden and I was a real little kid during that time. But I remember like on TV, seeing those guys on TV. Yeah. Um, well, especially Gorbachev, but then like, you know, pictures earlier. Of the, well, of yeah. The, before Gorbachev, they would, they would, they would kind of speculate like who the next like, guy and, was. Andrew Pov and yeah, they would, they would speculate and, and it, the, the guy they would speculate was like 80 five years old or something. They were always like really old dudes. It was, it was, uh, yeah. I know and that's, and that's kind of where it looks like that. Cause you look at Pelosi, you look at Biden, you look at, I mean, I saw Steny Hoyer speaking in, in look the at the younger generation. What do you have? You got, you got Dan Crenshaw. I mean, he's not much better. No, no, no. I'm not saying that, yeah. but I'm just saying like we, we, it's, it's definitely a gerontocracy that, yeah. that we're under right now. It's not, it's the, the, and it's funny because the young, like even AOC, right. Even AOC and the squad, I mean, they, they were all about sending that $40 billion over to the, yeah. Ukraine. Glenn like, Greenwald made it, that point. Exactly. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, I think that's probably where I saw it. And it was like, Holy, cause he, he had the vote count and everything or whatever it was on his thread. And uh, oh, and a sidebar: the the beef I have with Glenn all the time is he's always talking about McCarthyism, and it's like, hey, Glenn, Joe McCarthy was right, so stop with that using that analogy. Yeah. That's why yeah. I tweet to him all the time. Anyway, yeah. but but it's like he because I love because he is honest about like the left in the sense of like it, it. It's almost like AOC and the rest of the squad and the young they don't mind. Living in mom and dad's basement, mom and dad just happen to be Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden. Like they're very comfortable, like being there, but they're not really. They 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 make it seem like they kind of want to take the reins a little bit, but they are perfectly happy letting mom and dad, you know, the retired parents in Florida, kind of still run the show while they're you know kind of hanging out at the beach. You you know what I mean? Like that they. Yeah. No one, no, no young person is really, do I see really willing to go overthrow the gerontocracy? I mean, even Mitch McConnell on the Republican side, um, you don't see this push. You would think, you would think like the, like Tom Cotton would be like, all right, enough of this shit already. Like Mitch time to go, you know, like, I'm, well, I'm, I'm, I just don't think there's, I think ideologically they're, they're on the same, they're on the same team. So they don't mind waiting their turn. I mean, that's the problem. Yeah, maybe Tom Cotton's a bad example, but but I think my point is, is like you don't see any youth really upsetting the apple cart. Like it's it's just really weird because you would think because in the '60s, right, you had all these young people coming in. They couldn't wait to throw everybody else over the over the boat. But now you got all these young people. Well, I think they had some different in. ideas, even if they were bad ideas. They were different, but they they don't have really AOC. I don't think ideologically she's all that different from, from Nancy Pelosi. I think that's the big yeah. difference. I think if you took a generation gap like that among Democrats in the 60s, I think you'd see a lot. Like I'm thinking oh, you'd see um, a huge difference. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if, I you, mean if you did that in someone the 60s, like, well, if you did that in the 60s and you took a Democrat, so if you took a Democrat in the 60s with the same uh, generational gap as yeah. uh, AOC and Nancy Pelosi, you'd have one that was like in support of slavery and to well, one that, yeah, that I, was I don't know, but I'll give rights. you like a specific example, like um, Emmanuel Seller, who is, you know, pretty 
infamous on our side of the, the internet because I think partly because he was the, the co-sponsor of that mass immigration thing. And also he was the Jewish one. There's an Irish guy too, uh, the heart, but everyone focused on seller. But anyway, seller was so on immigration, he, you know, he was the older generation. He was different, but even him, I think he was basically forced out of office like 10 years later because he, he was kind of like considered a dinosaur on, on sex. Like he, you know, women's liberation, that kind of thing. Like he didn't agree with a lot of where the left was going on that. So, um, so feminism was like a big thing. That was like a big difference, but there's, there's not going to be a lot of daylight between uh, Nancy Pelosi and AOC on feminism. I mean, maybe Nancy Pelosi, really on nothing. I mean, you would think if you were an alien from another planet, you would think, all right, well, I mean, Nancy Pelosi, she's like 80. She can't possibly believe this trans stuff. But I mean, if you asked her in AOC, they'd probably say the same things about it. I don't know if they believe it or not, but I mean, I don't think, I just can't think off the top of my head of any ideological wedge between well that's why i think man like guys like mansion are a pariah and then he still votes with them like 89 percent of the time so it's like crazy because he does one or two things and he's considered like this i don't know you would think you, like when mansion does things that are those things that the people who elected him want him to do i mean he's not he doesn't right. have a typical he doesn't have the same type of electorate that a lot of these other Democrats have. He's from West Virginia. Yeah, I was going to say he's a little bit more intuitive about how to hold on to a seat, right? Because he has to go home and answer to West Virginia. He doesn't go home and answer to Washington, D.C., which is yeah inter- interesting because, well, anyway, I'll, maybe I'll see that for another time. I was just going to get into Liz Cheney in Wyoming, but yeah. now she de- how she does her fundraising in D.C., but um but no i guess you know tying this all back i i, I guess that in the inflationary pain i mean I, I i don't i guess you wouldn't be buying a house anytime soon huh dave um if if i were in the market for a house i had the money to do that i would probably um wait because i think they're probably gonna get cheaper yeah i think the uh now, I thought I read, did he already do this, or are they planning to do this? He was going to raise the rate a point? Um, they raised it 50 basis points, which is half a point, in their, in their last meeting. So um, I, the expectation is they're going to raise it again. That's another topic that came up in, in Zoltan Pazar's note, and he made an interesting point. Like He's like, if I were running the Fed, I wouldn't say anything. I would, because he said... Part of the issue is if the market expects, if, if you're, you know, if, if, if you're going to do X, you're going to raise a 50 base points and they expect it to go up by 50 basis points, it's not going to have the same impact. You need to surprise them. You need to shock them. So he's like, I wouldn't say anything. I would just one day I would raise interest rates by like 50 basis points and I would sell $50 billion worth of treasuries that they're holding from that quantitative easing and just dump it there just keep them on their toes like not let them sure what's going to happen next um so that's what i mean said. isn't that does it doesn't that go against the whole thing about the fed 
being a stabilizer or was that the one thing he, they had to throw out the window? In yeah, that's, combat well, that's one of the two things. But yeah, he said, ordinarily, those are the three kind of legs. And he's like, they, they got to just, if you focus on three different things, you can't do them all well. They have to like beat the shit out of inflation because this is as high as it's been in the four decades. And they got to get that toothpaste back in the tube. And they're just not going to give a shit about um, the stock market. Like they're not, in the past, they talked about a Fed put. Like if the market goes down a certain level, the Fed's going to step in. They're not going to, he's like, don't expect that to happen anytime before like the market drops below where it was when the COVID stuff happened. And even then, they'll probably be happy to see it go down further. They want, they want like air to come out of this thing. So Greenspan was real. I remember growing up, Greenspan was the one that was always tinkering with the stock market, if I remember correctly. I want to say he was the one that was that would do things when the stock market was going down. He was the one that would really then he'd cut like in the, I remember he cut the uh, like by half a point and then he cut it again and he cut it again and yeah, there was also some of that. On. Was that um, I'm trying to remember? Was he still the Fed chairman after nine eleven, or was that Bernanke by that point? I think it might have still been Greenspan. I don't remember off the top of my head, but I do remember they made cuts like immediately after 9-11 like for the same idea they tried to kind of goose it so because that was a situation because for a lot of the time um really a lot of the last i mean there was an idea after the early 80s with paul volcker that they killed inflation pretty much forever and it kind of looked like it so their fear for most of the last i guess the century was deflation and like their idea was deflation can be just as bad or if not worse than inflation. I mean, there's debate about this, but the, their, their theory was if like, like you just asked me, would you buy a house now? And I said, no, because I think they're going to get cheaper. And that's like, that would be like a deflation in house prices. So they, their idea was deflation is bad because if you think things are going to get cheaper in the future, you're not going to buy them. And then the economy is going to slow down. So you're better off having a little bit of moderate inflation. So everything they were doing was geared toward avoiding that deflation. And that included interest rate cuts when the stock market dropped because the wealth effect. If, if all of a sudden your, your stock market, you know, your stock account, your 401k, your IRA is lower, you're going to be like, shit, I can't, I can't buy that thing. Uh, you know, things are going against us. I got to save. And they didn't want that because that's deflationary. Now they do, because that's deflationary, and we're facing inflation. Well, that was the whole, the whole two per, that was the whole 2% thing, right? Where they wanted to keep inflation at yeah, 2%. Yeah. Right, right. Now they're probably going to go, go through that in the other direction. They're probably going to aim for zero or something. I don't know. But they're, I mean, they're, this guy, you know, remember, he, he worked for uh, like a, the, the New York Fed. So he, if he's right, and there's a good chance he's right, he seems to know what they think. And he quotes their statements. And it makes sense to me. I mean, inflation is, is really the primary thing. And I think they have the political green light to, to, to tackle it now because the, it's basically the Dems have already written off November. And you got to get it done before the presidential election campaign season starts. So it makes sense to me. So let's uh, let's hypothetical this, um, and then we can kind of wrap up here. 
what if they don't? What if they don't go that direction? What if they what if they try to I don't know. I'm not an economist by any sort. Uh, you know, what if what if they what tried to they chicken policies? out? You mean? Yeah. What if they chicken out? Exactly. What if they? Some have speculated that, like, all right, they're gonna actually. I think Zero Hedge themselves were saying this at one point. They were like, well, they're kind of in a box. They're gonna try to fight inflation, and then the market's gonna go down so far that they're gonna reverse, and they're gonna have to start cutting rates again. And that goes back to the whole expectations thing because people are saying the expectation that they're going to start cutting rates again in like 2024 was loosening financial conditions. Now it was making people feel like, okay, this won't be so bad. And then what Zoltan Pazar, I hope I'm pronouncing his last name correctly, was saying was them thinking that is making this ineffective. They have to like, not know when this is going to stop. They, they have to, not be confident about that. They got to start. They need a little bit of a pucker factor. So I don't think that's going to happen. I, I just, I don't think the stock market is their, is their main priority now. I think their main priority is, is fighting inflation. But to answer your question, what if they, what if they kind of reverse themselves and like the stock market, they started cutting rates? Um, then I think you'd have inflation. And then you ask them like what to do like as an investor in that situation. Well, no, I just, I mean, as a regular person with everything else going up around them, I mean, no, I mean, are you, you probably see a lot of like layoffs, I guess. I mean, would, would, would you, would you get into that stagflation type thing? Would you get into stuck, you know? Uh, well, I think that's what they're trying to avoid, but uh, it's a good question. If they were to reverse and just get, let, let inflation go. Um, I mean, what's I happened know. in Argentina? I, I guess it's different because Argentina wasn't like, the the currency right they had to worry about other things which was kind of keeping pace with the dollar but i mean when you yeah, have that argentina kind of... is uh they i mean they defaulted on their debt and it, it kind of a little bit of a different situation i mean they all i've really been paying much attention to them but all else equal they ought to be doing well in this kind of you know in this kind of global environment they're like an agricultural superpower and people need to eat, and the prices for that stuff have gone up. So I, I would think if they could keep their house in order, that they would be able to benefit from it. Uh, I don't know if they're able to do that. But, I mean, here, too, we ought to benefit from that sort of thing. If we, if we got out of our own way, you know? We've got yeah. oil. We've got, we've got tons of agricultural land. No, I, I agree. And I think that was... Uh... You know, or, or we could just live in the uh, the bountiful harvest of Nigeria. We'll just all move to Nigeria, <laughs> like like, uh, like yeah, second yeah, yeah. city bureaucrats suggested. We'll just all <laughs> the we'll just all move Nigeria. there. Well, I mean, they, yeah. they 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 you know they have natural resources. I mean, the issue for Nigeria is like they have oil. Norway has oil, but there's a hell of a lot more Nigerians than are Norwegians. So there's so many Nigerians. I think there's like what 200 million of them or something that. Even if they were to share all that those resources equitably, it wouldn't be a lot for everyone, and they don't share it equitably. I mean, there's there's different tribes fighting over stuff, and I, I'm not an expert on Nigerian politics, but I, I think it's the situation there is such that a lot of smart Nigerians don't want to be there. So, I mean that that's all you need to know, really. Yeah, no, I, I know. I just in fact, if, if you know, if 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 I were a dictator and 
I think the one rule that would straighten out immigration over anything, it'd be the simplest rule in the world. It would just be something like as many people from Nigeria, for example, can come here as people from here moved to Nigeria last year. So basically what it would do is it would kind of link countries together, give them an incentive that maybe they can't, maybe they can't meet the incentive, but at least it would be like, all right, you know what? We want to be able to have some of our people move to America. Let's make Nigeria more attractive. for them. I think what it would also do is it would really, it would really stop um, economic, you know, migrants, like just cold because um, you're not coming here from, from Haiti anymore. I mean, it's like, there's a lot of places where everyone pretends they're a refugee, but really it's just, there's a lot of places that are just poorer than here. And the main reason they're poor is the people who live there. So if they all come here, they're going to make us poor. So it ought to be, there ought to be that, like we ought to have more people should be able to come here from France, for example, because more Americans are willing to move to France, something like that. Or if Japan were to open its doors like that. But if it's a country that's a really, a place where the people who live there don't even want to be there, then there's no benefit for us for all of them coming here. David, sounds like you believe in the conspiracy of the Great Replacement. So I'm going to have to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to. Uh, this, make this, sure. this is this is even independent of that. I mean, let's just say you no, didn't I know. care what the makeup was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's just if you just wanted to have a nice country what you would want to do is populate Sign it me people up. from right. Yeah, it, it seems like a great thing. I, I would look around and say, Hey, where are places that are nice? If that's a nice place. Then let's have people come from there because I mean, that's just how things are. I mean, you go to like, we probably talked about this before, but like a perfect example is you look at, um, you look at these little towns in Southern Brazil where they had Germans move there in the mid 19th century. And it looks like Germany. They've got those little colorful houses and it's all neat. And it's not because of the Brazilian constitution or any Brazilian institutions. It's the people, right? I mean, because the same, if they, those people settled in Milwaukee, they would have had a nice prosperous kind of situation too. It's, it, that's what it is. It's just, uh, there's, there's really, I don't think any way around that. I mean, that's just the evidences. Yeah, no, that's, but, uh, well. <laughs> what's there, time enough there, to what we've been talking? I feel like. There, uh, He's so waiting. He wants to talk sports. Okay, whenever he's ready. Well, uh, Dave, I know you're into the uh, the lines and everything. I mean, really, we've we've had some wild stuff going on the last uh, couple of days. Uh, let's see, yeah. five game sevens in the NHL, two game sevens in the NBA today. I mean, I uh, just want to get your thoughts on that. Okay, well. Um, Here's the interesting thing. I hadn't really thought of it before, but had a, I'll get to the basketball in a moment, but Saturday, the, the MMA UFC had a fight night and um, it didn't go too well for me, but one of the last fight, the main event was this guy Rakic, this uh, Serb who lives in Austria versus the former light, light heavyweight champion, um, the, the Polish fellow. And I don't know if you guys saw, but I think it was like the second round all of a sudden he takes a step back and he goes to the ground 
and he indicates to the referee he can't continue. And it, it wasn't from a strike or anything. His right knee just gave out. Then it turns out that he announces he hurt his knee a few weeks ago in training, and he just thought he would just power through it. And apparently he tore his ACL right in the middle of this thing. And I'm thinking to myself, if this were any other sport, they would let you know that someone was injured. Now, this guy was a minus 200 favorite. This is just like robbery. I, I bet on him. If I knew the guy had a torn ACL, I wouldn't have bet on him. I mean, it's just not fair. It's just complete bullshit. I mean, okay, the guy's tough, and I, and I respect that. But this is retarded. I mean, it's just not a good thing. And it's, it, it shouldn't be allowed. So that's the main thing. Uh, as far as today, I didn't watch the hockey. I did, I did watch the Mavericks. And, um, well, two things. The, the NBA, um, the, I, I follow, uh, like, a betting account on Twitter. It's actually like a betting app. And they made, they made a joke. They said NBA stands for National Blowout Association because there have been so many blowouts. And I thought to myself, well, game seven, that'll be competitive because this is the last game. And I don't like the idea of seven-game series in general, I think teams can kind of mail it in in the middle um but this one wasn't i didn't mind because i bet on the mavericks but i think it was i think they just broke the spirit of the suns in the first quarter it's just psychological and i i i I used to think it didn't really matter what happened in the beginning of basketball games because the score could bounce around but now i don't think that i think i think the psychology is really a big thing because i guess like just shooting is such a fine motor kind of thing. And maybe if you're falling behind, you, you, you try a little harder and that makes it worse. Like you're not, you lose accuracy. And it was just, they just totally dominated. Them. So anyway, I made money on, uh, I lost money yesterday. I made money on, uh, on the Mavericks and uh, now they're going to play Golden State next. It'll be interesting to see what happens. I think I'll bet on the Mavericks again. Yeah, we'll I understand there was also some excitement in the, the hockey too. I think the Rangers won. Yeah, I mean, it's um, Rangers one. I mean, really, I'm lucky enough here where I live, I get the Canadian channel, so I get the okay. broadcast. And really, it was just see, it was seeing the amount of people just outside the arena. I'm like, well, COVID's over. <laughs> you know, it's a great, it's a great point. And um, that was really cruel to because to, sports are important. You know, and it's, it's important for a community and particularly for people that don't, I mean, even if it, like maybe you don't have a family or something, there's, you can go to a bar, a restaurant and they have a game on and it's something people can, you, you, you can kind of, you can do together. You're watching it together and you're, you're kind of, it, it's one of the few things in America that we do at the same, you know, simultaneously, like a lot of TV shows with, with, uh, it's not like the old days where you'd get back at eight o'clock to watch NBC on Thursday and you'd watch friends or whatever sports are the one thing that you'll want to watch at the same time. It's, it's, it's the only community. It's one of the few communal things that we kind of do, even if it's on TV. And I, th- so I think it was. So are you definitely blocked by Scott Greer? Cause he, he loathes the sports ball people, huh? You know, you ironically, I'm not blocked by Scott Greer. We follow each other. Um, and I, yeah, I know some people say that stuff, but, uh, like a, a, kind of on our side of the thing, but I, I disagree with them. Um, like, like there's one thing is like, uh, oh, instead of watching sports, you should play sports. And it's like, I mean, like you're, like I'm watching the NFL like in mid December or something in, in in like the New York area, 
like, like, I don't really know anyone, but I'm going to get a bunch of like middle-aged guys and we're going to go out in the snow and like, <laughs> you know, send each other to the orthopedist. <laughs> I mean, are you out of your mind? It's ridiculous. It's not, it's not a plausible kind of thing. It's like, it, it, it's dark at four o'clock. I mean, what are we going to do? I mean, I, I, I do go to the, I mean, I do think they're right that people should exercise and do stuff. And I mean, I do that. I go to the gym, I lift weights. I've been doing more stuff, um, like more like hitting the bag and that kind of thing. People should do more of that, but it's not either or. It's not like because oh, yeah. I'm watching a hockey game, I can't go to the gym or I can't whatever. You can't do other things. And a, and a guy think- made a really good – good. I'm sorry. No, I, and I, I want to hear that, but I, I just think that it's because sports have been so politicized that right-wingers have – it's kind of like – Right wingers have this thing about like abandoning spaces and like retreating to the fortress and then fighting out of the fortress again. Where well, it's funny because you say Scott Greer, and Scott Greer is also one of the guys that that kind of like doesn't like the whole thing about move to the forest and like move the rural area. I think so. If I'm right, I think he's the guy that's like you, you got to pay attention to what happens in the cities because that's you can't. Like you're not independent of that. That's, I, I mean, you know, you're you can't escape politics in a rural area, and he and he's right about that. Um, but but I think who was that? Someone made a point. Like all these people that are like, oh, instead of instead of uh, playing sports, you should be, you know, participating in some local league or something like that. It's like the people that don't watch sports aren't fucking participating in that shit. Get the fuck out of here. Those guys are instead of watching sports, they're on Twitter like calling us bad for watching sports. I mean, that's what they're doing. <laughs> that's, that's their sport. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I, I have a question going back to the Suns uh, Mavericks. Do you think, uh, you think the Suns head coach gets fired? That's a good question. I don't know. They, they, they made it to, um, they the final made it to this year. level. Was it the finals last year? And then they the year before the that, it was the semis. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I'm not really that familiar with basketball. Do they have like a separate general manager like the NFL does? Or I do the coaches so. usually do that? Okay. Because no, I, 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 I would think the they have GMs in basketball. Okay. Because sure. um, I would think with the Suns, that would probably be more of the issue. Like, like the question would be Chris Paul, for example. I mean, is he, is he still kind of um, – like at an elite level, I mean, do they have enough people around them? I, I guess those sorts of questions. Um, so yeah, I don't know the answer to that. To be honest with you, I th- I think it gets fired. You don't, you can't go, you can't show up with that team three years in a row and not get, not win a champ. I mean, that team was built for a championship. Yeah, I saw someone. That, you know, it's kind of weird. Um, in soccer, I saw someone suggest the same thing about uh, the Man City guy. Uh, yeah, Pepe, but- like. Well, here, here's because the they because they because they didn't make it into the the Champions well, League the, final. Yeah, they didn't win the Champions League final. But here's the thing: if Pep wins, if Pep wins the league, the Premier League. Yeah, he's almost certainly going to win the league, right? I mean, he's it's him and Liverpool. Well, well, no, I mean they had a slip up this weekend. They, they oh, I was up, okay. Yeah, they went up drawn with um, uh, uh, West Ham. But well, let's see what the with, table is now. Uh, I think liver. I think Liverpool in Man City. I think Man City's maybe a point ahead. But no, now, when I, when I saw in the crawl today, Man City's up 
by four points, but Liverpool does have a game in hand. Yeah, uh, Man so. City is up. They got 90 points, and then Liverpool's got 86. And then um, how many more games are left? Not much, right? Uh, two. Two for Liverpool. The, the key thing is Liverpool has an extra game to play. So they could. So if Liverpool won both, then they'd be up six points. Correct. And then Man City has, what, one more game left? Yep. So let's say Man City wins theirs. They're at 93. Liverpool wins two. They're at 92. Okay, so Man City, basically, it's a must-win for them, the next one, if, assuming Liverpool's going to win out. And right. they, happen, they happen to play each other the last match of the season. So well, that makes it exciting. That's almost like a playoff form. It is, yeah. basically. Yeah, that, that's – I mean, they, they – they, you know, for, for a league that doesn't have any playoffs, they really couldn't have scripted that better. But I guess, I mean, they kind of had a good idea that those two would be, be vying for. They'd be in the, probably the top four, if nothing else. Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> it's, it's really gone down, down to it. I mean, the world of sports right now is just radioactive. So much going on just this weekend, and I love it. And, uh, you know well, – I mean – in my state, we can uh, go to the casinos now. At least uh, the oh, nice. state of America. Yeah. You know, so. you know tied in with the uh, with the foreign policy, the Russia thing. One interesting thing is, like Russia basically got banned from. I think Wimbledon was banning Russian players. Oh, World everyone Cup banned, banned them. them. You know who didn't though? Uh, the UFC didn't. So they still have Russians competing, and also I guess the big boxing leagues didn't either because. A uh, a Russian actually beat Canelo last week, and I made money on that. That was actually nice. I um, I, th- I thought Barol or uh, Virol or whatever his name was. I thought he was fighting as a Uzbekistani or something like that. I think I think ethnically he is. I think his father was Moldovan and his mother is Korean ethnically, but his nationality I'm pretty sure is Russian. Right. No, I saw that, but he was like fighting out. I thought he was fighting out of a different, like a, a former Soviet Republic. Like he wasn't fighting or he was like Kyrgyzstani or could claim it something like that or something. I, I don't uh, know. Maybe. What's his last name? It's Dimitri Birol or something, right? Yeah. B-I-R-O-L. Oh, Bivol. Bivol. Uh, Bivol. Let's look him up. Um, yeah. Wikipedia. First line. He is a Russian professional boxer. Um. Yeah, he was. He was. He, I think what you might be thinking of is he was born in the in what's now Kyrgyzstan. Yeah, um, that's. But, a, I, that's but I think. But I think you know th- these these former Soviet republics have. Uh, I mean, it, like, like. Uh, yeah, his father was um, w- was working there. Like I think. I think yeah. So his parents moved to Kyrgyzstan after graduating and marrying. Um, like, if you look at uh those Ukrainian former um, boxing champions, the one that's the mayor of Kiev now. Klitschko? Yeah, like they were born, I think, in uh, Kazakhstan because their father was in the Soviet Air Force. So, um, but the Bivol story, so here's what happened. Like, I, I think I was watching MMA that, that night and but I followed Teddy Atlas, you know, the boxing guy on, yeah. on, on whatever. And I was just thinking that he was like a plus 380 underdog versus... Um, versus Canelo and he was also undefeated like 20 and 0 as a professional and he had like something like 200 amateur victories 
So I, I was like, you may I'll just put a flyer on him anyway. But then after the first round, which I didn't watch any of it, I watched like the last round. Um, what's his name? Teddy Atlas said he looked good. And I was like, all right, fuck it. He, he moved like plus 475. I just threw some money on him. I, that was nice. I, I got a nice, uh, I think I got like 20 bucks. And I made like 100 or something. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not bad. Nice. That's good. Yeah. So I guess uh, in uh, baseball, you, you, you're all set for baseball. Who's your team, Dave? A Yankees guy or a Mets guy? Yeah, I don't really follow baseball much, to be honest with you. Wow. Yeah. Just the uh, – I'm shocked. Rags, Seattle beat the New York Mets two out of three. So I just wanted to say that. Oh, good for you. Good for you. You're Nice to see you got like a a, a little um, a, a, a little break from the perennial disappointment of being a Mariners fan. I'm I'm surprised, Dave. You're not a baseball fan because it's a, a thinking man's game, and you're a thinking man. So I'm... I, I could try getting into it. I don't know. I, you know what it is? I didn't play it as a kid, and then I think that probably sort of uh, um, kept me back from it a little bit. Oh, and also the yeah. idea is like it's just got a lot of games. Is the thing, and like like that's like one thing that annoys me about basketball. I mean, I, I honestly I, I didn't watch a lot of basketball until they legalized the sports betting. But um, the thing that <laughs> bothers me about it is. Well, it makes a lot of stuff more interesting, uh, particularly if it's like a blowout or something. You can bet on points or something. But I, I don't like the seven-game series. I think – I think well, – uh, when it used to be like 2-3-2, two, two, then – so the way they structure it – At least what, of the five-game series, I think, in the first ones. But even better, like, like this is true of hockey as well. If you look at like the Olympics – um, it's single elimination. I mean, that's like every game's a game seven. Why wouldn't you want that? I mean, I know they don't want that. They want to get more money from ticket sales, and, you know, whatever, dragging it out. But I always thought the two, Todd, correct me if I'm wrong. I always thought the two, three, two was the most competitive because it gave, it, it gave, if the, if the, if the team that got, if the whole, if the team with the higher seed was that good, they were supposed to win their two at home and win the two away, and then they're done. Yeah. And then conversely, if you were the team with the lower seed, you could technically, if you use your home court advantage, win those three games and put yourself in a position that you could be three two up going into an away game, and possibly you know upsetting the series and then yeah. they changed they changed it to what is it like one one two two now like it's all weird what is it now todd How it's uh it two two one 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 yeah that guys i gotta so step away for one moment i'll be right back sure yeah i mean the, when i was growing up the nba first round was five games or five games two, yep two one and i thought that was intense that was great. You had upsets occasionally. And uh, now that the NBA has gone exclusively to a seven-game series, they have changed the NBA final from 2-3-2 uh, to 2-2-1-1-1, which I, I don't really like, but uh, that's what they did. Um, I, I thought the first round five-game series was a blast. Uh, and I actually like that in baseball, too. Uh, in the in the first round, uh, just because it, it gives the underdog a chance a little bit, 
I mean, the theory is in the seven-game series, the better team is supposed to win. If you give them more chances, the, the better team is supposed to come out on top. But, uh, yeah, I, I really think this is uh, – I forgot baseball was like that too. Yeah. First forgot round that was, five-game series still. was a five-game series, yeah. Yeah. And uh, it, it just makes the games more intense, and you can't slough off really at all. Yeah, you, you you have to pressure right away. So, yeah, and uh, I think it's going to be uh, a great playoffs in both sports. I'm more of a hockey guy more than a basketball guy because of where I live and we don't have a team anymore. But hey, <laughs> in the NBA, I mean, but um, but yeah, so it's uh, it's pretty good, and I think it's going to continue. For the rest uh, of May and June, so yeah, really uh, looking forward to it. But you know, tying that back into one thing politically, you know, the NBA's gotten a, a little bit of a headache with uh, they they're going to play games in the Middle East preseason wise, and um, where you know they've been defending the rights of the LGBT community and where they're going to go. I forgot the country right now, but uh, you can die if you're LGBT uh, over there, but the NBA will take the, the money for a preseason game. I think that shows where the NBA's head is. They just, uh, they want to be woke in this country, but they don't care about any place else where they can make money. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that goes with the whole Daryl Morey China thing. I mean, that's, it, 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 I think, and I, I think that kind of ties into what I was saying the day before about like the right wingers hating sports ball and stuff like that as they see that kind of, again, blatant hypocrisy. But that's, that's, that's just par for the course for. Well, I think one America. thing they didn't like about it was the whole BLM thing, but. Um, I, I, I don't think I like the NFL last year. I don't recall seeing a lot of it, you know, I don't remember. Well, I think the NFL got, I think the NFL got smart. You know, it's interesting because you still watch soccer games now and they're still taking the name. The British do. Yeah. The British do. And I think yeah, it's great. It's, it's sometimes crazy. other countries look at them like, what are you doing? Yeah. I think there was crazy. a, there was a match against Poland, like a world cup qualifier and the Poles were like, all right, you take a knee, whatever. But it's it's so interesting because they've taken to that. This is why, like, and a lot of times I get myself in trouble on Twitter because, like, British people will be arguing about something. I'm, I'm like, basically, you 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 have been colonized by your former colony because they literally do everything that American, uh, like Americans do, especially well, the in whole that. thing in the, in the Euro qualifier, the, the final last year against Italy. And for the penalties, they had the last three guys. They, they had black players take the kicks. Yeah. You remember yeah, that? Yeah. And, and, yeah. and all three, like they, they, they failed to make the, uh, make the penalty. I don't know if you even saw there was a the video from a bar in, in England where it was like mostly like, you know, like Caribbean blacks or something in there. And they were like, let the black guy take the shot. You know, he'll make it. Or so they were chanting this. And then like he didn't. And then after that, they did this whole thing about, oh, there's uh they did one of those. um 
like they were complaining about racism that didn't happen yet. They're like, we need to stand with these guys and they can't be almost racism. And then it came out later that like there were like hardly any like racist um, comments about these players and overwhelmingly people were supporting them. But it was like you deliberately gambled. Like you took guys that maybe weren't the best to take the penalties and you did it. So if they had won, then you could take a victory lap over it and it blew up in your face. And then your response is like, you're racist for saying anything about this. I mean, it was kind of right. And that goal to use the soccer metaphor. And then, I mean, that, so, I mean, that's my whole, my whole thing with like the English stuff is like, they, they, they literally do exactly what we do without any context. Right. I mean, Colin Kaepernick taking a knee in the NFL. There's no reason that England, should Why? have anything to do with BLM. I mean, you have a black population, but you didn't oppress your black population. These are people that immigrated there. In fact, you not only did you guys ban slavery before we did, but I mean, you guys, meaning the British, um, like the Royal Navy was was really part of the, they, they, they were fighting slavery elsewhere. Like they would stop slave ships and they would, they really cracked down on the whole slave trade to the point where even, African countries were, were criticizing because they wanted to keep selling slaves. This is our business, you know? And, and they, so, I mean, they, there's nothing that they should feel guilty about, but like you said, they're just kind of uh, being mini me's on that score. An interesting question though, and this came up in some, uh, a Russian commentator was talking about this, where he was saying like a foreign policy and war, they're like worse than us. And like, we take the lead from Britain. Like they're more extreme than us. And I don't know. Yeah, I saw that. And I and it's and I and I do think in in certain certain ways, like we the the Brits, I I read something somewhere where like it's like MI6, MI MI6, and because like the MI6 and uh British intelligence basically helped stand up our intelligence and our CIA and all that stuff during like World War II that they have like this unbound influence into kind of like uh, they have like this deep seated connection or whatever. Cause they also like help with the Canadians too. Right. So it's that, it's that whole, again, everything goes back to world war two. I feel like in this timeline. Um, and uh, well, it's, and it's um, not to quote Taylor again, but it keeps coming up, but he, he made a point uh, like, I don't know, a while back about how, wasn't even like secret stuff like the british would have they got like some of their actors to like to be part of the military and they used them in like meetings they they basically kind of charmed americans to try to get them to do what they want in world war ii yeah and so on that on that same theme you see a lot of like what like why would the united states ever be involved with israel if not the british policy of of all the 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 saudi you know we took over the saudi policy i saw a tweet the other day i forget who it was from um and basically he was making the point that everybody thinks the cia was the one who threw overthrew mossadegh when it was like basically orchestrated by the british intelligence agency to protect anglo ireland or I, what is it, Anglo-Iranian oil, and, and how a lot of, like, the United States basically f- uh, follows Britain in terms of, like, all the Middle East policy and things like that. 
Well, um, there was one claim specifically about, about Ukraine um, that Zelensky was prepared to negotiate with Putin and then Boris Johnson flew over there and goes, no, you're not ready to do it yet. We don't want you making a deal. We want to kind of, uh, you know, we want them to suffer more losses or something. Yeah, no, I saw that too. And and so, so yeah, I think, but it's kind of interesting because it's like we've colonized them culturally, yet they still have enough effectiveness. And maybe that's part of their, maybe that's how they get us in, right? They suck us in with, uh, you know, you know, maybe that's the, uh, my experience dealing with the English is they're extremely pragmatic. They, they, um, and I don't know if that's a, something that is in their DNA going all the way back for thousands and thousands of years, but they will, the Brits are funny because they'll, they manage to be able to take the moral high ground, no matter what decision they kind of make. And I mean, if you look back at like, even like Churchill and stuff like that, some of the stuff he would do, some of the justifications that he would sell, like when they were basically given the farm away to Stalin and stuff like that. And it was just like, ah, you know, we got to do it for the time. You know, we got to save the island and I'll save the island. It's like, yeah, well, you're literally like empowering the worst person on the planet other than, uh, yeah, but we're going to destroy Hitler and it'll be worth it. And then it was like, they were like, yeah, well, that was a terrible mistake. It was like, eh, you know, it's kind of like the, they're, when you look at their foreign policy, I mean, again, I'm, and I'm being long-winded here and maybe this is a discussion for another day, but like their, their, their approach is very pragmatic. Like they're, they're, they're kind of willing to do whatever um, in order to advance their policy, which I guess, you know, a guy like Moldbug would, would love, right? Because it's like, if you have the power to rule, then you should be the one ruling. And that's kind of the way the Brits operated um, for centuries. Well, I, I think the relevant thing, and I think that same Russian guy brought it up and, and um, is that their, their whole thing has been to kind of keep, like one power from dominating continental Europe. And, I met, and Ed West had commented in this thing, and I was like, well, I mean, isn't that true? And he's like, yeah, of course it's true. He's like, that's like, you know, for hundreds of years, that's our whole thing. And he specifically said, I think the area from like the Channel to the North Sea, he's like, we don't want one power dominating that. So the Russians were saying, that's really what this is about, just kind of keeping us weak, you know, making us weaker. Um, but you figure, and you know, if you think about it, I hadn't thought about it this way before, but it does put an interesting context on these demands for harsher sanctions against Russia, because like we said before, what happens if you if, if Europe decides to ban Russian gas, who gets screwed from that? Germany is like really dependent on it. And again, that's making a continental European power weaker. So I saw that. The other, uh, where was that? Maybe you did you post it? Where was this the same thread where someone was making the point that the whole thing of this is that the UK and the US are using the Ukraine as a proxy to weaken Germany and France and like suck a lot of power out of the euro out of the European Union? Uh, did you see oh, that? Um, I, I think I saw it, but I think the guy was, um, it was a Swedish guy, I think he's an economist or something, and he was actually saying it's a good thing. He said, if I remember correctly, I think it was Ostland or something. Anders yeah, Ostland. yeah, yes. yes and and yes. He, he said something like, the way this needs to end is Russia needs to be destroyed for generations and France and Germany need to be weakened for 
I, I, I don't know. He thought they were enabling Russia. I mean, I don't see where he gets France in that. The only thing France has done is Macron has like been in favor of negotiating an end to the war. And then Germany enabling, I, I mean, they bought gas from him. I guess that's, if you want to call that enabling, um, they, that was, they were a trading partner. But I think that's insane. I, I don't think you can destroy a country that, or humiliate a country that has the world's largest nuclear arsenal without things going really bad. I mean, it just, it's just like if they were really humiliated or whatever, what would they have to lose to, to, to start a nuclear war? I mean, well, we'd all have something to lose, but you know what I mean? It just doesn't seem like it's worth risking that. No, and I don't think we have the power to do it anyway. I don't think we have the power to, to can't like we've already, we've basically shot our ball economically against them. And what other sanctions could we levy on them that we haven't already? And they seem to be weathering that. Um, I mean, I guess if we went to direct war with them, I don't think that would go well either. I mean, people look at the slow progress in the Ukraine and they're like, ah, Russia's weak. I don't think. I think no. I think the Ukraine is strong. I mean, it's, they have the second largest military in Europe. And they're basically Russians, you know? You're basically looking at two, like, Russians fighting quasi-Russians with mostly Russian equipment. And it's a hard war because they're not, we've been used to fighting third-worlders with, like, no air force, no artillery, nothing like that. This is real war, and it's hard. And I, I just, I wouldn't, I wouldn't get cocky from that and say, oh, we can just kind of, like, fight a conventional war with Russia. It'll be fine. I think it would... I think we would lose a number of, I, I don't think we're prepared for those kind of losses. It's not the kind of thing. That's the other thing, difference between us and Russia. I, don't, I mean, none, neither of us knows exactly how many casualties they've lost in this war so far. I've seen that. Oh, well, they've, they've, lost, they've lost more than, than what we lost in probably five or six years. Oh, yeah, um, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've seen uh, estimates that that's been like 15,000. But, like, let's say that's true. I mean, uh, just let, let's say it's 10,000. Let's say it's 15,000. I think if America lost 10,000 troops in yeah, two or three like, months, oh I think that would be a serious political problem here. I think, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think we can tolerate the same level of casualties well, that they can. You, you, the New York Times was publishing the casualty list. Remember when they were sticking it to Bush during the beginning oh, yeah, of yeah. the... They, they did this during Vietnam, it. too. Like they, at the end of newscasts, like at 6 o'clock, they would like run on a list of names of people who died. Uh, yeah. The, the, the KA. So, yeah, I, I just don't think we could. Like, could you imagine 10,000 in the New York Times? Like, they would be months. like pa- pages be, and pages yeah. and pages. It would be, I mean, there would be pro. I, I just, I don't know. I, I just can't even imagine it. And the other thing, too, is like, so I, I think one of the, I know we're circling back to the other topic, but you just try to think from other people's perspective. Why are they kind of blasé about provoking Russia and sending tens of billions of dollars of military equipment that's used to, to kill these Russian troops in, in the Ukraine and even people in Russia itself, because Ukraine has struck back within Russia. And I, I guess the logic is, well, the only thing Russia could do is a nuclear war and they're not going to do that. But I mean, there's ways Russia could attack us without starting World War III, they could do it via proxies, you know, with plausible deniability. 
I mean, we're yeah. throwing a whole bunch of these stingers into Ukraine. What if Russia took some of those stingers and they gave it to Al-Qaeda in Syria and they shot down the U.S. cargo plane? Or they smuggled some across the border from Mexico, which we're not guarding at all, and they shot down you know, a passenger plane in the U.S.? I mean, they could do that kind of thing. And we couldn't claim it. They, they, they wouldn't take credit for it. Just like, or maybe they would. I mean, but they, they would do it like, like kind of like the plausible deniability with the, the, the fuel depots being blown from Russia, where people are thinking maybe there was, there was uh, U.S. intelligence involved or U.S. assistance, but we didn't actually send like an American plane in there. So they can't, you know what I mean? I, I think there's things beyond. Well, it's the same thing. Well, we did admit to when they sunk that ship. Right. It was like, right. Well, and yeah, that made, we, gave them, we gave them all and the that made intelligence. No sense to and me either, someone right? was like, well, I mean, we did. We didn't, we didn't give them all the intelligence. Why would you, yeah, like, to me, it's like, I can see why you might do that. Like, if, if your goal is to, it's like they say, to, to weaken Russia. Okay. But why would you tell them you did it? Because that's just begging. The only reason, logical reason I could see for telling them is because you want them to retaliate. And then you can use their retaliation as as a, a rationale for a further escalation. And maybe, I mean, they may work on a different time scale. But one possible thing is, like, Putin's looking at this situation. And he's like, well, the guy in power, I mean, he's, they're really not don't like me. But if I were to retaliate somehow via proxies, that takes the pressure off of Biden and the Democrats. Because now we're a nation at war and we all have to kind of, you know, line up behind the flag. From his perspective, maybe he's better off just doing nothing between now and November and letting them get like pummeled at the at the ballot box. Yeah, I think the expectation now, and and I and I'll uh, give you last word on this, Dave, as as we get ready to kind of wrap up here. Sure. Um, I think from the way Putin is sitting, and you see the way some of the Republican congressional candidates are running. Yeah. Um, you absolutely want them to sweep into power because, you know, the, the especially like your Joe Kent's, your uh, other America firsters, you know, they come in, they buttress the Chip Roy's and the Marjorie. Uh, yeah, they're the uh, exceptions, unfortunately, because like with that, but with the bill, but I'm saying you get yeah. you get you get like 50 more of those or 40 more of those type Republicans in. That helps you. And yeah. and a majority and they push hard enough, they'll they'll to to Putin's point, right? It's like they're, they will maneuver around Biden, kind of wrap this up, not send any more stuff. I mean, even if, even if the end is not so much that the United States stops supporting Ukraine, but um, they, uh, they stop the flow of money and weapons. Cause if the Republicans come in and say, look, look, you can support the Ukrainians all you want with your diplomatic efforts, but we're not sending them any more money or any more, you know, weapons. That that's basically exactly what Putin would want, and it's it's uh, in order to just kind of stop the the bleeding, and without having to do one of those like proxy attacks or one of those attacks, Dave. And I, and again, I'll just let you I'll give you the last word here to wrap it up, and then uh, we'll we'll head out. No, I, I agree with you. I think you're right. I think um, it, it, in Russia, I mean, see, it's tricky to say this because. The left could misinterpret, well, deliberately misinterpret it as saying the Republicans are pro-Russia or they're doing Russia's bidding. But realistically, from Russia's perspective, the best case scenario would be to get 
people like Joe Kent to win in Congress and, you know, and Marjorie Taylor Greens. And then in, in, uh, in 2024, have Biden replaced with a Republican who agrees with those people. So not only could, hopefully the war be wrapped up by them, but also they might be inclined to revisit the sanctions, particularly when the sanctions are hurting us you know, more than, than Russia. So um, the tricky thing is- And that's, that's is, the key point. That's the key point. It's not that those policies are pro-Russian. It's just that the policies- They're anti-American. They're anti-American, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. They're anti-American in practice. They're hurting us. And they're also the part about risk, risking nuclear war over the, the Ukraine, which is not a strategically important country to us, is not good. That's kind of bad. Um, you saw that Scott McConnell tweet from today? I did not. Okay. Uh, let me find it because it kind of actually threw it on the top of um, the zero head po- post I did today because it kind of encapsulates the craziness that we're talking about here. Yeah, me one moment. I'll get it for you. Um, here we go. Who's this Scott McConnell Scott- again? Scott McConnell, I think, is one of the co-founders of the American Conservative the magazine. Okay. He said, and I think he also used to write for the National Review and be on staff. He said, if you had told me 10 years ago that the bipartisan foreign policy of the American elite would be to risk nuclear war with Russia so Ukrainian neo-Nazis could control the Donbass, I would have thought very unlikely. <laughs> but I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy. That's that, that really sums it up. Well, Dave, Thanks for coming on. It's uh, you know long time. It's been a while since you've been on. Uh, sure. Always great. Always great to hear your voice. Hope everything else is going well. Um, love your stuff on Zero Hedge. So please keep writing. Oh, thanks um, for having me, guys. Appreciate it. You know, we should do a maybe we'll do a show before like a big UFC card or something, and we'll we'll do picks, and I can put myself out there, and we'll see. Hopefully, I'll do better, and then maybe some of your listeners will. Uh, benefit from it we'll see well i know i know uh neil and todd would love to have a a, a more of a sports team show so that's definitely in the in the cards as they say sure. so well thanks uh, thanks again dave and uh i'll let uh todd do the sign off and uh have a great rest of your week and uh you we'll too, talk guys. soon all right okay take care bye well I just want to say uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Very informative show tonight. Um, um, uh, We are Review the News, uh, where we make the news make sense to you. You can find us on on all uh, um, uh, places you can find your podcasts, especially on Spotify, Anchor, and Patreon, and hopefully some more uh, soon. And um, I hope you enjoy tonight's show. Uh, For our guest, Dave, and the rest of us, thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you again soon. All right. Thanks, Todd. Good night.